Hey folks, and welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I am your host, Austin here, or Austin Cubator. And with me tonight, I am joined by some wonderful co-hosts. We've got Ryan with me. I'm sorry, I didn't... I don't know why that hit me so hard. Oh no. It's right there, come on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I lost my funny because Austin broke me, but I'm Ryan and I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to have you. (laughs) I'm glad to break you. Just like this show. Uh, We also have Sarah coming back after a while. Sarah, how are you? Hi, uh, I'm great. Nothing a wish or two can't fix up, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, be careful what you wish for is what I have learned. (laughs) Um, We also have Tori. How's it going, Tori? Hi, I'm here with my nice hot cup of chamomile tea, ready to fight some witches, I suppose. (laughs) All right, and on tonight's episode, we're going to be talking about the 2011 TV series Puella Magi Madoka Magica. Is that how I pronounce it, or is it Puella Magi? I don't, I don't know. Pretty I never sure hear anybody Magi. say it. I'm pretty sure is it's Magi? Magi. I literally just heard him pronounce it in Rebellion, and I've already forgotten how they said it. <laughs> okay. Also, well, I've had that. With... I've had that argument about the show like enough times to. Uh-huh. I'm just going to go with Magi, so I'm consistent. <laughs> okay. Okay. Either way, whatever. We're going to be talking about Madoka Magica, the 2011 TV series and the 2013 sequel movie Madoka Magica Rebellion. Uh, But before we get into that, we do want to talk about, just briefly for the sake of the record, uh, Tori and I were able to attend our first anime convention since October of 2019. We attended Queen City Anime Convention in charlotte north carolina this is probably about two weeks ago uh from the time of this recording right now we are recording on september 2nd so it was like mid to late august of 2021 and uh yeah it had been quite some time since we had been able to go enjoy a convention because of of course the covid19 pandemic sort of knocking out conventions for a a year year and a half pretty much especially Mm -hmm. in our area Uh, I know there were some conventions that were held in 2020 um, amid the pandemic, but uh, certainly not in our state. Um, But um, it was kind of kind of weird to be back, but also kind of like no time had passed at all because it was kind of like just coming back home again and everything was not too different than what cons normally are, except for the fact that... um, Thankfully, this con had some really good, solid COVID protocols, like they required um, either vaccination cards to be shown or they required recent negative testing and everybody had to wear masks top to bottom. And uh, other than that, it wasn't as kind of wasn't as weird as I kind of expected it to be. It was pretty, pretty standard. It's a it's a smaller con, so I wasn't expecting too much, but it's pretty nearby. So that's kind of why we decided to sort of give it a try and because it really wasn't a whole lot of uh effort because it was an easy commute um but we put on some panels and stuff that we can talk about briefly but um 
yeah, Tori, I've I've rambled. What was what was your take <laughs> on attending Queen City 2021? Um, I didn't realize how burnt out on conventions I was until we didn't have them for like two years, and then we went back to a small one. I genuinely was like, oh my god, I'm enjoying myself. What is this feeling? I've never felt it before. Um, but no, I was like seriously happy with how they handled everything. Um, of course you have the few dummies that don't follow the rules, but honestly, like I can count the number of people I saw not wearing masks on one hand and like, what do they do about the dummies? I don't think they really did anything, unfortunately, because I definitely saw them walk by staff members and staff members saw it and did not say anything. Um, So that kind of stuck in my mind a little bit. But I will say that I saw more people there than in my local grocery store wearing masks. So kind of felt safer there than in my local grocery store, if that sounds weird. But yeah, I had the opposite um, problem when I went to Galaxy Con about a month ago. Um, there was like, oh yeah, you did get to go to that. Yeah, there was like twenty five percent of people wearing masks, so I was just like, Ooh. well, this is this is not great. Yeah, well, I saw I, photos yeah. and it looked like a nightmare. Well, people were calling well, probably... it COVID Con after the fact because so oh, many people were reporting cases. No. I thankfully was fine. Oh man, I mean, I I think that's just like an easy case study there of like if you have the right policies you will get the right outcomes because I mean I know this is extremely anecdotal and there's probably no way to tell but like I haven't really seen or heard any widespread COVID cases that have came out of Queen City. I saw one generic post of oh god why did I say it like that I saw one generic post of somebody being like, hey, I hate to be this person, but is anybody else feeling unwell? And then there was no follow-up, so who knows if it was just a cold, or mm. they had gotten the flu, or COVID, or I mean, Concrud is still a, a thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, true. absolutely. Now it's yeah. extra strength. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, extra strength. I mean, I think, I think it's inevitable that, like, from any large event, like, it just the likelihood of spread is just super high like even when there are a lot of precautions put in place but the 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 issue is scale you know like i feel like even if it's possible and likely that like somebody will walk away from with covid from the event it's like you can do certain things to make sure as few people do as possible right and um, you don't necessarily know where they picked it up from. It's not this magical thing that you can just be like, hey, like, you know, I picked this up when I went to the grocery store two weeks ago and I bumped into Mr. Anti-Masker. Like, um, not to say that people couldn't pick it up from the convention and might have, but you don't, we can't really pinpoint it, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. If it's like one or two people, I feel like that's kind of expected, to be fair yeah but yeah. if it was only if one if it was few, only one or two people great yeah, yeah if it's that few i would call that like generally a success i mean Absolutely. you don't want to become a super spreader event and by all metrics it seems like queen city has avoided being that and i think that's in large part due to their really rock solid policies i mean there were definitely those few people but by and large everybody was really really doing it well i remember we went to a panel of one of our friends that was doing well let me start that over. I remember we went to a panel that one of our friends was doing, and they had taken off their mask to do the panel. And then the staff member said, hey, 
you got to put your mask back on. They weren't like super rude about it or anything, and the panelist was cool with it, but I was like, oh, okay, so they are at least enforcing it at some level, maybe not as much as we would have liked for them to, but... Wait, so they were telling, re- they told them to put their mask on while they were doing the panel? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh, mm-hmm. I'm actually surprised which, about which that. Even though yeah. I definitely saw panelists that weren't doing it and mm-hmm. there was really no consistency on the staff member telling yeah. them to put it back on, unfortunately. Probably half yeah, of them don't care or don't want to just argue. Yeah, That's definitely something that like probably could have been told to the volunteers a little bit more clearly um but that's but that's also a problem you see like everywhere unfortunately it's like any like a retail store or a coffee shop or whatever will have like signs up that say you must wear a mask to enter this place and then the none of the employees enforce it which i think that's kind of a failure on like management's end it's just like they need to make sure that all the employees are trained and in conflict resolution uh and things like that um which is just as important for uh, anime convention staff. Absolutely. But um, but yeah, yeah, I was pretty happy with the way things turned out with it. Our our panels went really well. Um, How many did you run? P- we did. Well, I did. I did one solo, and then one with Tori, and then Tori did two solo. Two. Uh-huh. Yep. We did Disney in Japan together, and that was probably the least awesome experience, just because of the room it was in. But the, I mean, the attendees were nice. That's good. Yeah, they put um, us in, they put us in a lounge room, essentially. So we were, like, competing with the people who were in there to just, like, chill and eat and drink. It um, was a very weird space. Like, huh. it, yeah. it was, it was literally, like, like, you know the bar from The Shining? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it kind of looked like that. <laughs> it was a little bit like that. Like, yeah. super low lighting. Everything was red. That's bizarre. And, like... It was really strange, and like there's a there's like a stage there where they probably do like live music or dancing or whatever, and uh, they put they put a panelist set up on that stage, um, not on the dance floor but like on the stage behind it, and also we're using the lounge as a lounge like where people could come in and sit and chill. Yeah. And it was like just like you said, Tori. It was very difficult to be able to concentrate on performing a panel and feeling like you had to project over the the raw noise in the room of the people back in the you know farther in farther corner of the room just like chatting and yeah. they weren't being especially loud but they were being loud you know as you are whenever you're chatting in a room right so it, it was hard it was it was it was difficult i would i would not have put panelist content in that room Mm-mm. at all no i would have saved that i would have saved that for like I don't know, this is going to sound disrespectful, but I would have saved that for, like, AMV showcases or something, you know? I mean, Just, like, go I mean, in there, honestly, grab a drink, watch worked. the AMVs. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of would have worked, honestly. Um, honestly, yeah. I, I think, think that's a good like idea. Anyway, yeah. No, I think yeah. that's a great idea, actually. That sounds <laughs> like a good thing just or normally to do have. Cons, do cons still do AMV stuff anymore? Some of them do, yes. Mm. Animazement the still has the, uh, yeah, they, yeah, they still have the AMV contest at Animazement, as far as I know. Yeah karaoke would have been fabulous in there because it, it was just the, the right stage. setup yeah yeah, yeah. And and they had no i don't know karaoke. if i was trying to take a break i would want to listen to you know weeaboos try to sing japanese <laughs> that's very fair yeah. you don't want to hear people trying to sing the my hero academia opening not like, even a little bit without no. 
no without Hell looking yeah. at like a romaji script like at all oh man um other than that i was like a little salty because they kind of like i don't want to use the phrase screwed me over because that's a little too strong and like i didn't have that much of or that strong of a reaction to it but i remember when i filled out my application for my slots i specifically said please don't schedule me super late because i knew we were going to be commuting like i was fairly sure we were going to be commuting right and our commute was about an hour an hour mm-hmm. each way <laughs> and um so guess who got stuck with 11 to 12 and 12 to 1 back to back on oh, separate God. floors <laughs> that's, that's oh no no so by the time we got packed up, you know, um, I also had a very unpleasant experience with the panelists that came in after me because my fault totally, um, the schedule looked like there was nobody coming in after me. So I kind of jokingly like to my audience was like, oh, you know, we're the last ones in here for the night. We can just take our time and like, you know, enjoy it and talk about it and everything. And everybody's like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. And then like i'm maybe five or six minutes over and these next panelists come in and are just like i don't want to go too far into it but just kind of unprofessional and i and like i said you know my bad i didn't check the schedule clearer um but it was very much like get out now you have committed the ultimate faux pas (laughs) the most i'll do is i'll tap my watch very annoyingly like just raise my hand in the air and start like aggressively (laughs) tapping my wrist but i'll only do that for like 10 minutes over yeah yeah bring out a giant clock if anything staff should have said something maybe it's there was no staff staff is terrible about cutting off panelists they're the worst about it um so both of my panels were 18 plus and they were checking downstairs for the Jinja Ito panel they were checking IDs because um the panels before me had canceled so we kind of just camped out in that room and just took a rest um and we met some yeah that really panelist cool... was basically a no call no show like the oh, staff didn't even dang. know that the panelist wasn't going to be there Damn. yeah so we we kind of just chilled there were some um you know, nice people we met that kind of chilled in there with us. And the one guy let me borrow his phone cord, so shout out to him. Um, and she, I walked out and was going to walk back in. And the staff member was like, hey, just so you know, you all need to clear out. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm running this panel. We're over 18, blah, blah, whatever. So they were checking IDs for that one for sure. Mm-hmm. But I guess because it was so late into the night, once we had moved upstairs, um, and it was really fun because a lot of people who were in my first one followed me to the second one. And, um, like a little no- spooky train. It was so cute. Um, nobody was checking IDs to the point a dad and his kid, who might have only been like six or seven years old, walked in. Uh-huh. And I had to like censor what I was doing. And I was like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Um, but, like, they were super chill about it. I told the dad, I was like, hey, you know, this is an 18-plus panel. I show, like, heavy violence and gore. Um, but I'll let you know when it's coming up. So if you want to leave with the little one, yada, yada. He was super cool about it. But um, they, the inconsistencies I noticed. And mm. I had heard from the staff member who was helping me that night that they were really short-staffed. Um, so I guess they figured once it hit midnight anyway, why would somebody be bringing a kid to a panel that kid exactly. should be like in the room in bed? Oh, that's yeah. so, valid. <laughs> that. 
No, I mean, like, I was up till two or three in the morning when I was six or seven, so, like, what am I talking about? But, oh my God. um, <laughs> it, it was just weird that there was, like, no consistency, and I, I, and I'm not upset. I just wish things had been handled a little bit better, um, especially with the, like, weird time slot, me having to kind of, like, amend my content a little bit to make sure, you know, I didn't show the wrong thing. And then the no clarification that there was, in fact, somebody coming in after me. And then that just led to a really embarrassing situation. Like, I just had to, like, throw all my shit together and, like, basically, like, okay, guys, I'm done. Bye. And, like, run out, essentially. Damn. Um... And I think that really was, like, kind of the only negative thing that happened. Mm -hmm. Um, The dealer's room was okay. The artist alley was fine. Um, Kind of, like, typical stuff you always see. Um, But, yeah, overall, it it was fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Crowds weren't exceptionally bad, except maybe midday on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Um, Other than that, there was a pretty good, um, pretty decent uh, flow of traffic and... Things didn't get bunched up too bad. Um, I think one of the worst things about this convention is the location because it's not really near any any food that is particularly convenient to get to. It takes like a good maybe ten minutes to walk to like a little shopping area where you can get some food. Um, yeah, they did. Ha- they did they have had food trucks. Food trucks. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, they, they there was only two, and there was like Saturday was the day that sold out, right? So like all the tickets were gone, mm-hmm. and you could tell like when we left out of there on Saturday to go get dinner with my friends, like the lines were so long for those food trucks. Like yeah. no way I would have waited in that, you know? Yeah, and the space is generally good. I mean, it's a little cramped. I I wish they could find a larger space and it sounds like i i might be wrong on this but it i think i read somewhere where they're trying to move to the convention center next year which that would be really nice that would be great um um but i will say that uh, apart from those staff interact like staff interactions or lack thereof or probably like lack thereof where the staff was mia all the actual interactions we did have with staff were pretty positive um like they were very attentive to the panels that we had in the daytime at least when there were staff members around because i remember uh on multiple occasions there were staff members that came to help me set up av stuff um so that was very appreciated um tiffany grant the voice of asuka uh from evangelion that has been on this podcast before she was there again and she barely recognized us (laughs) but but in a good way it's like she she said you kind of look familiar and i'm like I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> I'll take that as a win. Um, but she was there. We went to her panel, and she talked about Evangelion. And a thing about panels this year that I was really shocked by is that all the panels that I went to with, like, guests, um, people actually asked good questions. Oh, they were shocking. on fire with those questions, let me tell you. There was only one awkward question, and it was from an actual child, so it <laughs> absolutely deserves a pass. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Had Ava 4 come out by the time this convention yeah. happened? It had, oh, okay. yeah, it and people out, were like, asking about it. It came out, like, four, like the weekend, like, the week before. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So, which is great, because then, you know, Tiffany was actually able to talk about it, because yeah, there... Um, yeah, she wouldn't have been able to say anything. It's true. Yeah, which w- I'm sure that would have been very awkward if it, if the convention had taken place, like, a month before, because she wouldn't have been able to talk about it. But thankfully, it was, like, right in that window where people had been able to see it, and she was able to talk about it. So she did talk about it, 
she said some interesting production tidbits about how they were um she said a story along the lines of they didn't really have an audition for the new amazon dub of the rebuild films but they kind of did but the purpose of the audition was to make sure that the voice actors sounded still sounded like their characters which i think is kind of i think that makes sense yeah, because, I mean, it has been, like, 25 years since they played these characters, and another good, like, another 10 years since the last, well, gosh, almost 10 years since the last Rebuild dub came out. Yeah. So, I think that's reasonable, but, um... I'm still surprised how... that Spike still sounds like a child, or can <laughs> sound like a child. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Um... And uh, she talked about how they had actually dubbed these all the way back in, like, December and January. So it had been, like, eight, seven or eight months since the work had been done that she had to be quiet about it. Which I just couldn't imagine being in that position. But, um, Itori, you had a pretty positive interaction with another guest. Oh, yeah. I met my favorite furry. Um, Jonah Scott was there, and, um, I'm the resident Lagoshi fangirl, I suppose, and he <laughs> signed my copy of Beastars, and, uh, the lady that was at the table with him, who I am, like, mathematician, mathematicianing together in my mind, I think was his girlfriend, um, they were both super sweet, lovely to talk to, I was really embarrassed because they called my outfit nice, and I was just like, oh, gosh, thank you. <laughs> um, but super, super lovely. And um, that was really the first time in a while that I've ever interacted with, like, somebody, like, a guest that I've never met before. Because um, usually, I don't know, I don't really go out of my way to get stuff signed unless it's somebody that I, like, really, really want to go bother. Mm-hmm. Um so nope super super nice took his time with everybody um and you know tiffany grant did too like you know we were in her line for a little bit she like super took her time with everybody and had a legitimate conversation and that was kind of nice um you know from both of them given everything going on that you know they still were there and they were happy to be there and still having genuine interactions with people and not like See, to me, that's what I love about... Yeah, that's what I love (laughs) about getting autographs is not even necessarily the fact I'm getting this thing signed, but the fact that I actually get to interact with, like, a voice actor or somebody that I've, like, followed for a while. Like, I think since the last time I was on the podcast, I met Kevin Conroy and my life was changed. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, it's like, those are the moments that I look forward to when I'm getting something signed is, like, talking to them and asking them a question that I've wanted to know the answer to for, like, a decade or something. You get up to Kevin Conroy and you're like, "So, you played Batman, huh?" I asked him what I asked him what it was like to work with Mark Hamill and he told me the cutest story. Apparently, Aww. Mark Hamill looks at other voice actors in the booth like a child in a candy store. Like picture <laughs> picture like leaning on both of his elbows, his chin in his hands and just smiling at them. That's oh, cute. that's so cute. And I was just like, I could see him doing that. That's adorable. I'm glad to know he's not an asshole in person. <laughs> it makes yeah, all the difference. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I think I've like genuinely been lucky enough with the one exception who will not be named that every quote unquote famous person I've ever met has been fairly nice. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Oh, so, yeah. 
Well, that's about it, I think, of covering on Queen City. I mean, it was a pretty small convention, which is kind of why we wanted to go, because it's a small local thing. And can I, um, can I just say one more thing? Oh, yeah, sure. It was so, 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 so sweet to see all the families there supporting their young kids cosplaying and, like, they're having a good time. That's good. Like... I never had that. Like, my family still, like, actively makes fun of me for going to conventions and cosplaying and stuff. And that's, you know, whatever. But um, seeing parents there genuinely invested and even, like, dressing up with their kids was just, like, made my little heart happy. It was so sweet. And that's a convention that skews a lot younger. Um, So, you know, it was mostly teens and kids with their parents and things like that. But um, it was just very sweet. It made me so happy. And I was like, yeah. This is cool. I like this. Yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of kids who were going to conventions when they were young that are now like in their late 20s, 30s who have kids of their own now and they're sharing that with them and not making it like a weird like, oh, wow, you you like this weird nerdy thing. I'm going to put your head in the toilet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they still put their head, their kids head in the toilet, but only if they like football. Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm kidding. Football's fine. But uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's awesome that uh, parents, that there are like nerd parents that will share this cool thing with their kids and allow their kids to uh, participate in it and show up to panels really late at night that they probably shouldn't be in. <laughs> Hi, do you want to let your seven-year-old watch a bus full of schoolgirls get bisected? Hell yeah. Yeah, I assume you're running your <laughs> horror panel, worse. right? I was. I don't think I mentioned. I did my Jinji Ito panel and I did my horror movies panel and I kind of fluffed mm. them up a little bit and added some new stuff. But nice. um, yeah, not appropriate by any means for a six to seven-year-old. Definitely not. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's basically all I have to say. I mean, I did we did Disney in Japan, which hasn't really changed a whole lot, except I talked a little bit more about video games this time. And then I did 10 anime movies you may have missed, which is my favorite panel to do, I'm pretty sure, because it's, it's always like, I love the reactions that people give off from that one. Uh, and I had an almost completely new slate of movies that I talked about this time. Yeah, you changed that one pretty uh, so frequently, pretty right? Cool. Yeah, and that's kind of why I like it so much because it's never boring. Like that that panel is never. I f- I feel like I'm never phoning it in. I'm always like working on it, making it better, and doing it differently each time. So I really enjoy that. Um, but that's about all I have to say on on Queen City. It was a it's a good con. Uh, we've been following it for the past like four or five years, and watching them grow and become like more professional, more of a big deal is really uh is really um great to see. I like to see I like to see local cons grow and develop and do cool things and have good COVID policies so that I can feel like I can support them and still uh, feel comfortable about it. You're yeah. hoping um, that AWA actually happens. Yeah, we'll see. Only time will tell. Yeah, their but, COVID um, policies are fine. I'm just it's they are. It's like two months out and we've seen one guest. I know <sighs> it's it's gonna be a kind of an interesting thing to see what happens with awa this year yeah but um yeah but uh good talk about queen city we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna be talking about monica magica
All right, we're back. So we're gonna start off by talking about some of the people and situations that brought this 2011 anime TV series to us. And the first person that we're gonna be talking about is the director of the series, a gentleman named Akiyuki Shinbo. Uh, Akiyuki Shinbo started working out, started working in the anime industry in the early 1990s, and eventually landed at Studio Piero, working on things like. Yu Yu Hakusho, where he directed 19 episodes. He worked on mostly OVAs across the late 90s, bouncing between studios like Tatsunoko and JC Staff. He would first dip his toes into the Magical Girl genre by directing 2004's Magical Girl Lyrical Nanoha, which I've never seen, but is apparently also a bit more tonally serious as a Magical Girl series and features these things called jewel seeds that turn things into monsters, which sounds very reminiscent of something that Madoka would have. Um, I know, Tori, you and Sarah have been into Magical Girls probably way longer than Ryan and I have, so have you guys seen Nanoha? No, I've never seen Nanoha, I've sadly. I've <laughs> only seen, like, clips and AMBs, and it's definitely, like, the weapons that they use, like, the mm -hmm. attacks that they have are basically, like, nuclear level attacks mm. but yeah i don't really know the actual plot at all <laughs> yeah i mean that seems like i from what i saw on his resume that was like his first magical girl thing and like his history working on that sort of made him want to come back to it like a decade later with madoka so uh, I thought that was interesting, but it, it seems like one of those anime that was very popular in its day, but people have like completely forgotten about. Yeah. I wonder. It's definitely going on the list, though. I think if it if it is reminiscent or the precursor maybe to Madoka, it might be an interesting watch just to see kind of where they pulled some root ideas from. Yeah. Uh, around the early 2000s as well, he formed a working relationship with the composer Yuki Kajira on his series uh, the portrait, uh, Les Portraits de Petite Cosette. Pardon my horrible French accent. Um, <laughs> what was that? <laughs> wasn't it amazing? It was better I've than what I could minutes. do. <laughs> Thank you. In 2004, Studio Shaft underwent some restructuring, and Shinbo was hired there because the then-president wanted the studio to go in a more visually interesting direction. Since then, Shinbo has basically been the head director on what they call Team Shinbo, wonder why they call it that, at the company, working on series like Pony Pony Dash, Negima, Hidamari Sketch, and Sayonara Zetsubuo Sensei, and eventually landing the anime adaptation of Nisioi Scene's Monogatari franchise. I can't believe Hell I pronounced that right. Yeah. <laughs> on the first try, too. Look at you. <laughs> on the first try. So I have, like, I've seen some of the Monogatari series. I've seen Bake Monogatari, and that was the, the first anime. It came out, like, two or three years before Madoka. And I definitely see a lot of visual and tonal similarities between the direction in that show and Madoka. That architecture, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Interesting architecture, sort of lots of lots of scenes with people talking, but it's like directed and shot in a visually interesting way that makes it not so boring. It's not just constant over-the-shoulder shots. Oh, and the very famous shaft head tilt as well. Of course. Of course. Can't forget it. Yeah. <laughs> So the Monogatari series itself was an instant hit and set the stage for Madoka both visually and tonally. 
Uh, after Madoka... Okay, so by the way, quick aside, I'm going to probably be saying Madoka and Madoka interchangeably because I haven't decided how it's supposed to be pronounced in my head. And also, if even if I did, I'm going to mess up on it anyway. So please forgive me, dear audience. You're going to be doing anyway. a lot better than I'm going to be doing because I'm... Like, there's a 50-50 chance of me saying Maguka instead of M- <laughs> Madoka, like, just out of reflex. I mean, we might as well just call it, call her and it Maguka, just yeah. make it no. simple. <laughs> After the Madoka series, uh, Shimbo continued to work on a lot of series at Shaft, such as Nisekoi, March Comes In Like a Lion, and countless more Monogatari anime until his hiatus in 2019. That... Monogatari series drove him into retirement, basically. There's but like he'll be back. Thirty novels. They're gonna be adapting that stuff forever. Mm-hmm. Jeez. Yeah, I read that apparently Shinbo sees the Monogatari series as his life's work. So Aww. probably probably if uh, anything Nisioi scene has written, Shinbo will probably direct until he is in the grave. Well, that'll be fun. <laughs> yep. But it was announced uh, earlier this year, I believe, that he will be returning to direct the sequel film to Madoka Rebellion that is coming out at some point, and basically the entire original crew for the series will come back to reprise their positions and roles on that movie, including Gena Rabuchi, the scriptwriter, uh, the Kinda original hard to cast. do without him. Uh, well, they did. Um, uh, well. Get, uh, in uh, Gekidan Inu Curry coming back to do their wonderful um, sort of mixed media art uh, and everything but uh, I think we can all agree that Shinbo needs to rest and I'm glad he took a year hiatus off I hope that was enough it's kind of a good year to take a hiatus honestly well it was mm-hmm. 2019 so I think he was working last year oh okay mm-hmm. so well either way anyway. I hope he had a good sleep yeah me too a long rest mm-hmm but yeah another another person that is like inextricably important to this series that isn't the director is of course the writer gena rabuchi so ryan do you want to tell us a little bit about him yeah so gena rabuchi uh real quick some of his most well-known works include fate zero black lagoon psychopaths the netflix godzilla movies thunderbolt fantasy and of course maduka maguka um <clears throat> So he's credited as a special thanks in Maduka Maduka Maguka. <laughs> he is, yes, he is. Um, <laughs> so he's commonly known as the Earl Butcher because a lot of his shows have very nihilistic themes, and he also it's in his name even apparently the character for Uro in his name is actually derived from a Chinese character for nihilism. Uh, that's crazy yeah so i don't know if i don't know if that's true but i saw that in a in a couple of articles i read about him so i feel like that's interesting to just mention yeah Yeah, right yeah seriously but uh he also leans into the name uro butcher like he apparently loves it um his method of writing also involves drawing the audience into the story and characters a lot more than most other people do like he tries his best to get you to connect with the characters specifically and in order to do that he has a different naming convention for most people he tries to pick character names that stick out like that are easy to remember instead of just generic names like yuki or something or he also doesn't try to name them based on a personality or a trait or theme of the character um Hmm. and to go a step further 
he tries to include a character trait of his own in each of his characters so he, he is able to relate to them better and therefore write them better which i think is brilliant so that's that's absolutely Saber is brilliant self-insert character all of his characters are self-insert <laughs> characters <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also for madoka specifically he won two awards for best screenplay when it came out yeah, and uh, Madoka was like his first real anime breakout hit, which is pretty crazy considering that and Fate Zero both came out in the same year. I know Fate Zero was based on a novelization that he had written many years prior, but mm-hmm. it is pretty amazing that he would have such a, a knockout year being like the guy behind Madoka Magica, this new original property, and the the screenwriter behind Fate Zero, which to... to um, for all the Fate fans that are correct, is the best Fate property. Yes. But aside from that, um, we all know Madoka at this point. If you're watching this, like you're going to find out anyways. But Madoka is a complete trap. It presented itself as a traditional cutesy magical girl show, but then, you know, mommy. So then reality set in that you were in for a wild ride. And... He was relatively unknown at the time of Madoka, so not everyone was familiar with his doom and gloom style. I had seen a thing initially saying that there were, like, really rabid fans of his that when they saw that he was involved with Madoka, they were like, oh no, it's a trap. And he was promoting the show on Twitter, (laughs) saying that, oh yeah, it's a sweet show, I think you're all gonna really like it. And whether or not people (laughs) believed him, I have no idea, but... That's so evil. I definitely went into Madoka completely blind, so I knew nothing, and my friends were laughing when I was, like, (laughs) jaw-dropped at that scene. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the only thing he... The biggest thing he was known for, and Tori, I know you know about this, is, like, Saya no Uta, which I know nothing about. Yes, He had also done... He had also done a number of visual novels on the computer. Yeah. Like... Which is what Saya no Uta is, yeah. Right. So, like, yeah, that's that's where I think, like, Japanese nerds knew him from, is, like, if they were big visual novel fans, they knew who he was Mm -hmm. from some of his... Well, his more obscure Um, works here. I don't know how obscure they are in Japan. I remember seeing that online and this was before I really associated like creators with um their own work does that make sense like I would just Mm -hmm. consume content but I wasn't like specifically looking like oh okay like Jinji Ito made this comic so I'm gonna go read his other comics but yeah um I remember like illegally downloading Sayana Uta and that was like the first visual novel that I ever played oh what a start (laughs) (laughs) And I, I didn't realize, like, it was, like, adult content on top of that. So I was just, like, going into all this, and I was like, oh, my God. And then the plot twist gets revealed, and I was like, I, I just had to put down my computer. I was just like, oh, that's so nasty. You threw it on um, the ground. And then, so I guess I was just thinking, kind of like him talking, uh, Ryan talking about Madoka. I was like, it didn't really click to me that, like, Madoka was the first active thing of his that I recognized. Like, I was like, oh, you know, I enjoyed this so much. I'm going to go seek out that creator's works. And then mm. it's like, oh, wait a minute. I already have. But um, it, his his themes carry over very prevalently prevalently in other stuff. So I kind of tangented mm-hmm. there. I'm sorry. But no, no, you're fine. fine. I, I will say that kind of because of that, he's become 
probably one of the more recognizable screenplay writers among anime fandom like Mm -hmm. like your average anime fan like how many screenwriters are they gonna know it's just like they might know a few like they might if they're kind of if they're into it they might know who mario kata is but more than likely they probably know who genrobuchi is just because his works are have been pretty popular um and uh he was definitely on the map after madoka so like well, between yeah, that and Fate sure. Zero, people definitely knew who he was when Psycho Pass came out. Mm-hmm. And now he's working on Thunderbolt Fantasy, which anime <laughs> fans so aren't weird. watching. <laughs> They're not uh. watching it. It's a shame. I'm one of them. <laughs> hey, we've seen like four episodes. It counts That's for true. something. No, it's it's really good. I need to need to put more time into it. But um, yeah. I also started yes. laughing when I found out he was responsible for the Netflix Godzilla movies because those were a beautiful train wreck. <laughs> I didn't wreck. Even know that. Oh yeah. man. Doesn't Godzilla literally look like poop? Uh, <laughs> let's not get into it. There's a lot of things yeah. I can say about those. We can save it anyway. for another day. I yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Speaking I of... I can I was gonna say like I can remember finishing Madoka and just like seeing the announcement for Psychopaths and being like, okay, here we go, here we go, here we go, here we go, and like looking forward to that every day until it came out. Yeah, and so. that was only a year later, which yeah. is yeah. crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of char- speaking of things looking like poop, which would be character design, we're gonna talk about the character designer who designs characters that don't look like poop. And that is uh, Ume Aoki, uh, who goes actually by two separate pen names, depending on what she's working on. She goes by either Apricot Plus or Apple. It's either Apple or Apply. I might I might have miswritten this. Apple, maybe it could be Uh, Fujiyama, Fujimiya, excuse me. And her largest credit up until this point was Hitamari Sketch. So she had worked with uh, Shinbo and Shaft previously on that show. Uh, followed by Madoka, and she hasn't really done a whole... I mean, she's definitely been working, but none of her big projects have really taken off since uh, Madoka, even though she has come back to do all of the sequels, and I believe she did the character designs for um, Magia Record, which we might touch on a little bit later. Um, Which is interesting, because I feel like she has such a unique art style like everybody has those big wide square faces and yeah that's just a shame to not see her in more i guess especially after the success of madoka Mm -hmm. but it is really interesting because hitamari sketch is like it's like a sketch comedy show that shaft made and it's completely unlike madoka so i think the the funny tonal dissonance of bringing in someone like her to pair up with someone like orobuchi is is pretty pretty (laughs) incredible pretty galaxy brain i would say um, but yeah, Tori, talk to us about uh, this this uh, production company behind the sort of bizarre, like mixed media imagery in the show. Yeah. Um, so something that always stuck out to me within the series was exactly that kind of like when they're in the labyrinths and the witches' other world, and just the witches in general, and um, they use the same technique when they're telling you know backstories. Um, but there is a group called Gekidan Inu Curry, which translates to theatrical company Dog Curry, which I don't know if that's delicious or not. Um, is it cur- curry for dogs or curry made of dogs? That's <laughs> we the question. will yeah. never know. Um, it is a duo of an art team 
they did, like I said, all of the witches' designs and their little minions and the other world um, in Madoka Magica. Um, they took... They have taken a lot of inspiration um, just from the information I found um, from a lot of traditional Russian and Czech animation. Um, and I think that's very prevalent when you kind of look at that art style compared to what they have done in the show and the movie. Um, it's really, really beautiful. Um, they did a lot of that same thing for Monogatari and Zetsubo Sensei. So um, they're kind of staying in the in the house, you know, and working with the same people um, amongst yeah. all these shows. So I don't think I've ever really seen anything like it. And um, the only thing actually, okay, there's like two shows I can think of that it sort of reminds me of, but still that's like lowballing it, right? Um, uh, Mononoke uses that same kind of like stop motion watercolory esque mm. art and then um i don't know if anybody's ever seen this but there was a show called trapeze that was based off of a short story and a novel collection i think the japanese title of the anime is kuchu baranko um mm-hmm. and it used a lot of like uh weird elements like that too and it's art like you had a character in there who was a nurse but she was like a real actress in in the anime um and just a bunch of colorful like cut out stop motion type things super cool mm-hmm. um but i think to me like when i see something like that i think most of madoka and the work that they did for that um just because it's so so gorgeous and really stands out like completely on its own the thing it reminds me most of is like Terry Gilliam's animation, like from Monty Python and his um, film filmography, because it has that again that weird like paper doll esque sort of style and like just like just the random random elements thrown together to make something really odd that you don't really see in anime a whole lot and mm-hmm. i think that that's one thing that makes madoka so visually like watchable because i, I feel like if it didn't have that element to it it, w- it might look just kind of boring you know um but it, it really does enhance the overall experience and i and i appreciate broadly speaking whenever anime is willing to experiment in that way for mixed sure. medium is fun experimental mm-hmm. stuff is always interesting and it's always memorable like i'll I don't think anybody can ever, like, talk shit about the Madoka witch scenes just because they're so well done, as bizarre as they are, and just even the stuff in Rebellion that is, like, kind of mixed style just works so well for the world that, like, I don't know anybody who doesn't like it. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. But uh, speaking of things that are also amazing, we have some really amazing musical artists attached to the show, most notably the composer Yuki Kajira and two different uh, musical groups, Kalafina and Claris, that we want to talk about. So, uh, Sarah, walk us through the, the music, the sound of Madoka Magica. Okay, well, for starters, Yuki Kajira is a composer and producer. And I thought you... you mean to say goddess goddess uh and you she's been around for like 25 plus years um so you probably definitely watched something that she's done if you've watched anything super popular in the past like decade or so because she's done demon slayer the soundtrack for that a lot of the modern fate series so 
Unlimited Blade Works, freaking Zero, the Heaven's Feel movies, um, all of Sword Art Online. They never switched up composers between seasons or anything. So everything from mm-hmm. season one until the end of Alicization, all that's Yuki Kajira. Black Butler. SAO will always have that. <laughs> yep. It's one redeeming factor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good music. Ding. And Lisa. Ding. Um, Black <laughs> yes. Butler. Yeah. Dot Hack yeah. series. Subasa Reservoir Chronicle. Does anyone remember that one? Um, <laughs> Pandora Hearts. Also, uh, one show that just came out this year. The case study of Benitas. Um, so she's still around. She's still kicking. Uh, in 2018, she left her production company, Spacecraft Produced, and then she was like, don't worry, though, it's fine, and started her own, like, talent collaboration agency project thing called Fiction Junction, and she just kind of does collaborative projects with uh, Annie Song singers that she's worked with in the past that she's really liked, so. <laughs> like Lisa. Yeah, yeah, like Lisa, like Lisa. and Her like and Lisa some of the former members like of Calafina, and yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that is Yuki Kadra. She rocks. Um, Literally. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's some strong guitars in there sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> of Calafina, boom it was formed like they were formed under yuki kajura so any of the lyrics or music was usually composed by yuki kajura and they're also under spacecraft produce um and they were originally formed in 2008 for the kara no kyokai or garden of sinners movies um they did end up disbanding in march of 2019 which was about a year after kajura left that production company um Definitely usually known for their harmonies. If you don't know the name Calafina off the top of your head, you probably have still heard them singing some opening or ending or just random cool anime-ish song. Um, so Magia, the ending for Madoka Magic of the series, was done by probably the most iconic formation of members because a couple members have come and gone in the like 11 years they've been together uh which is wakana otaki who is now a solo artist hikaru masai who is now a solo artist and i can't pronounce what her solo artist name is it's like h dash l dash ikal with a couple backslashes behind it um helical slash slash helical <laughs> slash slash um which very modern uh very stylish uh and then we have keiko kubota kubota uh who's now a solo artist known only as all caps keiko again very stylish um well, she kept it at least simple very simple yeah <laughs> um and i think both wakana and keiko have worked with yuki kajira since fiction junction became a thing um but yeah they had 20 they just singles, can't they just can't albums. all be in the same room working on the same song because they'll get sued uh, <laughs> maybe i don't know they've all said that they want to work together again so i genuinely oh. don't 
I don't well, know what's up with that. Maybe they're just trying to find I, another label. I don't know. I hope know. they do. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they've done songs for like Black Butler, Fate Stay Night, Unlimited Playworks, Fate Zero, and I'll Know a Zero, among like quite a few others. So. Which I'll Know a Zero is another Genarabuchi joint, but it's not one of mm-hmm. his stronger works. <laughs> one of my friends. One of my friends loves I'll Know a Zero, but oh. I've never gotten into it myself. I don't usually drop shows because I'm very stubborn, but that was one I did not finish. Gotcha. I saw it through to the end, and then I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> this is what I got, huh? <laughs> this is what happens. Um, was it like slipping on a banana peel, and then just while you're down there on the floor, you just stare at the ceiling thinking, how did I get <laughs> how did here? I get here? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like when you do something incredibly stupid, and you kind of just disassociate for 10 minutes and constantly think, why did I do that? <laughs> why did that have to happen like that? Um, but yeah, uh, I think, uh, okay, the group that did the opening, which I find to be very integral to the whole deceit behind Madoka Magica is Claris, which is super cute little duo group. Uh, they debuted with Irony for Oria Aimo, um, and they actually started out in junior high as uh, Alice Star Clara on Nico Nico Doga, um, and then they got super popular on Nico Nico Doga, and then they got signed with um, an Annie song label and decided to debut as Claris which means bright, clean, and brilliant in Latin, but also they have said in the past that they're a fan of Claris, the heroine who appears in Lupin the Third, the castle of Cagliostro. So. Excellent taste. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Weebs. Um, but they've also <laughs> done openings and endings for shows like Nise Monogatari and Nise Koi. And then Alice left the group, which is, again, just a duo, in 2014, and they got a new duo person, and they've been doing even more Annie songs. So they might be back for the new movie, but even if they are, it'll technically only be half of the people who worked on the original one. Sad. Oh, um, sad. Yeah. The original duo had... Part of their whole, like, shtick was that they hid their faces, um, and they usually either had, like, little drawings of their of themselves in the like style of whatever show they were working on so like Nisei Monogatari or Oraimo I don't know if they ended up having one in Madoka style I feel like they would but uh you but yeah I think because those characters are so like iconic. iconic I think so I don't know I'd have to I gotta look around for it but um yeah they even wore like masks at live events and stuff like that uh, but the new Claris revealed their faces in 2017 and in 2020 decided to officially start using their faces more to promote like their songs and stuff, which I mean, I think that's fine. Um, the reason for their anonymity was usually cited as prioritizing their studies because again, they started in junior high and then they were in high school for a while. So it makes sense that now that they're older, or, uh, it makes sense that now that they're older, they can like show their faces and not really have to worry about getting kicked out of high school for being idols on the down low (laughs) i remember is that like a thing that's frowned upon yeah uh usually if your school finds out that you're doing um like entertainment jobs on the side then you can get kicked because they see it as that means that you're not focusing on your studies here at our school so we don't want you at our school because you gotta remember that in japan high schools are almost like colleges here and that you have to like take exams you have to, study to, get, to get into, get into them. them yeah yeah but they also do have high schools that are explicitly like for people in the entertainment industry so i don't know but 
Yep, that's Clarice. I remember... Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. Um, I was just going to say, I remember back in 2017 on Twitter when they were like, okay, any day now we're going to, like, reveal our faces. And literally, until now, I have forgotten about it completely. Mm -hmm. And now I finally know what they look like, and it's very cathartic. Nice. (laughs) The mystery's finally (laughs) solved. A ten-year journey, finally over. (laughs) (sighs) Well, that about covers all the background information for the series that we're going to be going through, but it would probably be a good idea to talk about what specifically this TV show is about. So the anime aired from January 11th, 2011 until April 21st, 2011, but the final two episodes were actually delayed due to the March 11th, 2011 Tohoku earthquake and tsunami in Japan, which was a major tragedy, a major historical event uh, for the country at that time. Uh, And the show is about, hold on, and the premise of the show is basically Madoka Kaname, she is a middle school girl who lives a very quiet life in Mitakihara City with her friends Sayaka and Hitomi. Uh, One day, a mysterious transfer student appears in her class named Homura Akemi. She warns Madoka about doing anything that could disrupt her quiet life. Later, after chasing a strange cat-like creature who calls Madoka by name, they meet another mysterious girl named Mami Tomoe, who is revealed to be a magical girl. Thus, their adventure into the despair-inducing world of Madoka begins. So that's generally what the show is about. Uh, So before we talk about our thoughts on it, we definitely want to go through the cast a little bit. Uh, So the main character, Madoka, is voiced in Japanese by Aoi Yuki. She is Futaba Sakura in Persona 5. She is Suyu in My Hero Academia. And in January of 2020, this was an amazing story, so I had to put it in here. She hosted a promotional event for the release of her new CD single, where if you won a special limited raffle, she would slap you in the back with a paper fan. Which sounds (laughs) amazing. Hell yeah. Like, I, I would love to be slapped in the back by some of my favorite musical artists. That just sounds like a like an honor. Uh, and in English, she is voiced by Christine Cabanos, who is Azusa and Kaon, Mako in Kill la Kill, and Sailor Saturn in the Viz Media dub of Sailor Moon. Uh, Homura is voiced by Chiwa Saito, who is Aoi Asahina in Danganronpa, and Riko Aida in Kuroko's Basketball, and also Hitagi Sinjogahara in Bakyamonogatari. The Queen. <laughs> uh, another Akiyuki Shimbo and Shaft series that we've talked about. <clears throat> and in English, she is voiced by Christina V, who is Sakura Mato in Fate. She's Kilua in Hunter Hunter, Mio and Kaon, and Sailor Mars in the Viz dub of Sailor Moon as well. There's a lot of overlap between this cast and Kaon and yep. Persona and Sailor Moon. Yeah, so like there will be a lot of there'll be a lot of repeats here. <laughs> So Sayaka is voiced by Eri Kitamura, who is Juri Han in the Street Fighter franchise. She's Mina Ashido in My Hero Academia, and she's Cure Berry in Pretty Cure. I don't know which one, because they all blend together, because I don't know anything about them. It's very rude Tori. of you, first of all. That is true. Where's Cure Berry from? Um, Cure Berry is, I think, fresh Pretty Cure. Is she blue? Yes. Probably. Okay, very fitting that Saika is also blue. 
true. <laughs> and in English, Sayaka is voiced by Sarah Ann Williams, who is Felix in ReZero, Puck in Berserk TV 1617, and Jack Frost in Persona 5 Strikers. Uh, Mami is voiced by Kaori Mizuhashi, who is Miyako in Hitamari Sketch, and performs every opening song in that show. And she's also Ogi Oshino in Owari Monogatari, and she is the voice of Navi in Ocarina of Time. Oh, yeah. So, hey, listen, that's <laughs> Mami that. Tomoe. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> that is. Uh, Mami in English is voiced by Carrie Karenin, who is Caroline and Justine in Persona 5. Casca in the Berserk Golden Age trilogy, and is the director and dub voice of Misato in the Netflix production of Neon Genesis Evangelion, <laughs> and she is the supervising director of the new Shout Factory dub of Satoshi Kon's Millennium Actress. Oh. So she is she is a um, pretty prolific director as well as being an actor. Uh, Kyoko is voiced by Ai Nonaka, who is Frankenstein in the Fadaverse, which she just makes a lot of grunts, right? She just yeah. grunts. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. I love that. And she doesn't have a whole lot of really prominent roles, but she has been featured in series like Toradora, Kimono Friends, and Clanad. Uh, she actually, unfortunately, contracted COVID in late 2019. <gasps> She unfortunately contracted COVID in late 2020, but she made a full recovery, so that's great. That's great. Uh, Kyoko in English is voiced by Lauren Landa, who is Robin in Fire Emblem, Annie Leonhardt in Attack on Titan, and, again, Sailor Neptune in the Viz dub of Sailor Moon. (laughs) And, Ryan, because you added a lot to this one, I'm going to let you do Right, yeah, I did a lot of research on Kyubei. So, Mm -hmm. in Japanese, Kyubei was voiced by Emery Kato, uh, who voices Himari Uehara in Bang Dream, Kagami in Lucky Star, and one of the many Popgos in Pop Team Epic. And in English, she is voiced by Cassandra Lee, who is Ritsuko in K-On, Leafia in Sword Art Online, uh, and Morgana in Persona 5, Persona 5 Royal, Persona 5 Strikers, Persona 5 <laughs> Dancing in Starlight, Persona 5 The Daybreakers OVA, Persona 5 The Animation, Persona 5 DLC for Catherine Fullbody, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate Trailer for Joker from Persona 5, and Super Monkey Ball Banana Mania. Thank you. <laughs> Lovely, thank you. <laughs> oh. And the English. Any ADR other production. Morganas I should know about? <laughs> Not that I am aware of. <laughs> oh gosh! And the English ADR production for the series was done by Bang Zoom Entertainment. So, Can I just say something mildly controversial? Yes. I did not like the English dub. I did not care for it. Really? Yes. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Well, you know that's just like your opinion, man. Yeah. <laughs> Rise and shine. I wonder which ribbon I should wear. Oh, good morning, Madoka. All right, I'm off to work, everyone. Have a great day, I'm not gonna let you be popular with the boys. You're mine, Madoka, mine, mine, mine. Uh-oh, look how late it's gotten. Excuse me, but I really should be going now. Let's give a big warm welcome to our new classmate. No way, it couldn't be. Thank goodness. You rescued Kyubei for me. I want you to make contracts with me and become magical girls. Come on, give me your best shot. Matuka Kaname, do you treasure the life you currently live? And do you consider your family and your friends precious? Uh, well, I... Of course I do. I mean, I... I, I do. 
family and my friends. I love them very much, and yes, they're very precious to me. All right, so now we're going to talk about the show proper. But uh, so to introduce that, I guess let's just go around and talk about sort of how we first got introduced to Madoka as a series. I guess I'll go ahead and go first. Um, I was first introduced to Madoka in probably about 2013 or so, probably around the time that hype was building for Rebellion. And uh, I had a friend of mine at uh, community college who recommended it to me. And at the time, I was definitely an anime fan, but I hadn't really broken out to watch a lot of things that weren't like immediately something I thought I would like like I didn't really experiment too often I mostly kind of watched the same sort of things which were generally like sci-fi action adventure that sort of thing I had the extremely stupid and unawesome take that magical girl shows are for girls only which is a very dumb take yeah I had that very dumb take uh, at the time but a friend of mine said, hey, you should check out this show called Madoka Magica. It's really good. And he didn't really explain too much about it other than he said it was like, it's a dark magical girl show, so you should watch uh. it because it's dark. <laughs> oh. And I'm like, look at me, I'm okay. dark and edgy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he didn't exactly say it like that. He just kind of implied that. Well, I'm just like, like, I'm sure those first couple episodes were very confusing for you. Then. <laughs> like yeah. a, a little bit. I was like, well, I, I kind of just assumed it's just like, all right, I guess it's going to get dark any time now. I guess it's going to get weird eventually, right? Seems um, the opposite for me because I was told around the same time to watch this show. However, I was told to go in blind and I was watching it with mm. my roommates and they were just like, it was like the end of episode two. And I'm like, okay, so are we, are we uh, like observing the normal three rule? If I'm not into it after three episodes, we can like, you know, turn it off because, you know, so far it's fine, but like, I'm not really into it. And then mommy's head got bit off and I was like, <laughs> oh, you so poor were, pitiful fool. Yeah. were you watching it like with people? Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, he. The, my friend just said, like, hey, you should watch this. So I sort of sought it out on my own. It might have been one of the first things I watched, like, on Crunchyroll or something. Um, and I watched, I watched it. I mean, I'm really slow at watching things, so it took me, like, a few months to get through it. But I did watch it, and I ended up really liking it a lot. And then it was, like, years before I watched Rebellion. Gosh, it was, like, three or four years before I watched it. But, um... God, I honestly yeah, don't I've even always... remember the first time I watched Rebellion. Yeah, I definitely watched it whenever I was in college proper. Um, but, uh, Tori, what what was your introduction to uh, Madoka, and how did you feel about it at the time? Um, well, one, we went to the theater to see Rebellion together. Um, no, we didn't. <laughs> yeah, we did. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did. No, you and I did not. Am I thinking Monogatari? Yeah, you're thinking Monogatari. We went to see the three, the, um... The, uh, oh gosh, the Monogatari movie trilogy. Okay, well, you can cut all that out. Never mind. I stand corrected. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> I think it's funny. It gives the podcast character. <laughs> <laughs> um, I stand corrected. It's fine. Um, so for me, I actually watched Madoka as it aired, um, because I was still Oof. very much into, like, keeping up with the seasonal stuff Same. coming out, and I was like, ooh, new Magical Girls. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And um, 
basically, like everybody, episode three happened, and I didn't really have friends into anime at that time in my life. Like, not outside of something like Naruto, right? So nobody was watching Madoka with me, and that happened, and I literally just had to, like, sit there and take it all in and process it. Um... And, like, internalize everything that I had just watched. <laughs> um, so that was that was a weird experience. And um, I went through the delay, um, you know, with the earthquake. And that was a really interesting eye-opening experience because I was just one of those people, like... I understood that stuff came out weekly, but I was also in the mindset of, like, not understanding why they just didn't have it all done at once and then release it weekly. Like, how dumb is that, right? Um, <laughs> but that that was a huge learning experience for me. But, um, yeah, keeping up with it seasonally, weekly, was really tough because every episode I was just like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Like is this character safe now? Is that character safe now? Like, who else is gonna die? Like, I can't take it. <laughs> I think um, the first thing, I'm I'm a massive comic reader as well, if I haven't mentioned that on this podcast before. So I'm so used to people dying and then me being like, oh, they died. I wonder when they're coming back. Uh, so like, <laughs> that's what well, I, I mean, that too. kind of applies. Yeah, I know. Exactly so like, what I, thought. I turned to my friend, and they were, and he was like, "Yeah, so mommy's dead." And I was like, "Cool. So when are they gonna revive her? Because this show is too cute <laughs> to kill off a character." Yeah. And then uh, Magia played. So I was yeah. like, "Oh, this oh, yeah, is not the like ending that we just listened to. First, what the yeah. heck?" Mm-hmm. Yep, and then um, I saw, I actually myself saw Rebellion, each one, or I saw Rebellion and the other two movies in the theater, so I was really lucky because we had, like, um, an independently owned theater, and they were, like, kind of the first in the area to start screening anime movies before they became much more of, like, a like a mainstream thing. Um, so they had gotten all three of them, so I went and was able to... Um, participate in that with other people and just people's reactions are always really fun but um yeah so I I kept up with it seasonally as it aired and it was really tough like up until then I had never watched a show seasonally like weekly that had so much tension and drama really at that time and I was just like oh my god like my little heart can't take this I need I need more (laughs) (laughs) so lay it on us Sarah how did you first get introduced to Madoka um, I also watched it as I was as like it was coming out. Uh, 2011. Yeah, I was in high school. Yep. I was heavy on that anime Tumblr, you know, yelling with everybody else about episode you three. You could have told me to watch it, but you didn't say a word. I did not. But <laughs> I, I probably would have been. I probably would have had that stupid take then. So yeah, you probably would have uh, been like, you... "Oh, it's a magical girl show." I didn't know that. <laughs> Cultured. And also yeah, totally. have been like, "I'm a boy." You had to mature into it, you know? Um, yeah, that's true. You're right. You're actually right. Um, but yeah, uh, I think when it first came out, I was like super into it. It was really fresh, really cool. It looked cool and different. Uh, then so many shows started coming out that were like, quote unquote, inspired by it in some way that I yep. kind of started to not like it anymore because of that which isn't very fair to the series itself but i just didn't like like to the point where when the movies were coming out i was like 
oh, I don't care. I'm not going to go see the movies. I don't care if it has a different ending or whatever. Like, it's whatever at this point. Which, that's only two years. I was already that jaded by then. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I think then ooh, a few years ago, I kind of rewatched it because I wanted to watch the dub, which I think isn't that bad. But um, I rewatched it and I was like, oh, no, this is actually like a pretty freaking good show. Like, I'm stupid (laughs) but yeah i think i definitely have had like a roller coaster of emotions with it for sure in terms Mm. of liking it and then not but overall nowadays i feel like yeah it's a pretty good show yeah i feel like i would definitely recommend other people to at least attempt to watch it unless they really don't like dark things because it does get pretty dark but Mm. did um Anybody watch Magical Girl Raising Project? No. <laughs> so I, I kind of have a soft spot for that one, but it's much more like Battle Royale. And whereas Madoka's like, it's okay to still be hopeful. Like Magical Girl Raising Project is very much like, if you even dare to hope, we will literally kill you. Ooh. So. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. It's it's a show kind of just kind of piggybacking off of what you were saying. Mm-hmm. That was the big one that everybody was like, you got to watch it. It's just like Madoka. And I'm like, tonally, these two shows could not be any more different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of people don't look deeper than, you know, magical girls, but evil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's really hard to jump in to find a place to start with talking about this show because there's so much to go on. Um, I guess for me, what really resonated with Madoka, like, first of all, I think whenever I watched it the first time, what resonated the most was like the characters and the visuals Mm-hmm. And the music, of course, like those are the things that really grabbed me and made me think, okay, this is a really solid show. I, I like this a lot. It was very eye-opening to me from the perspective of, oh, you know, I am actually allowed to go outside of my comfort zone and watch things that don't appear at face value to be like, quote unquote, made for me or whatever. So that was a really formative moment for me then and now i'm just like i'll i'll watch whatever even if it's made for like little kids or old people or whatever i understand that you know these uh these demographics that we try and put media into are like largely meaningless in terms of how much you will enjoy a thing so that was really helpful for me to get over that hurdle at the time but I guess on, upon further reflection, just watching it maybe a few times over the last few years, I think what really stands out to me is, you know, still the characters and the visuals and the uh, the music and all of that, all of that wonderful stuff. But I just think the the journey that these characters go on throughout the course of this show is like really compelling. I think it opens up a lot of uh, questions for the audience about. Um, just like the nature of the world and how things can be, you know, uh, problems that we face can seem like insurmountable. Like the whole thing about Cuba being like, well, we need energy for the universe to survive or a little bit like implode on itself, which I think is like, especially something to ponder in the age of, you know, 
climate change and a pandemic and things like that where we feel like the entire world is crumbling around us but uh but i think ultimately like the show presents like a really hopeful message and it's something that madoka says like towards the end of the show about how like when she's being questioned i think by by mommy about um about people thinking that she might be foolish for being hopeful she'll be she i I wrote down the quote because it stuck out with me a lot and this is really what i took away from the show this time around was she said um uh if if it goes against the laws of the universe i'll just rewrite those laws um and if someone tells me it's a mistake to have hope i'll just tell them that they're wrong and keep telling them until they believe and i really appreciate that attitude i like this sort of relentless hopefulness that's not that's not like i don't i think which i think is different than like relentless positivity because sometimes that can be a problem when you're faced with actual issues that need to be addressed but relentless hopefulness in the sense that like you know if there's a system that's broken i mean the answer to a broken system isn't well let's just set the system on fire and watch everything burn it's to like well how about we just fix the broken system and then make it into a system that will actually work um which i think is a good that's like a good general approach to life i think so that's that's kind of the thing that stuck out with me this most recent time rewatching it is just those that idea of just daring to have hope in the face of insurmountable adversity i talked a lot please somebody take the baton from me <laughs> <laughs> no you're, you're on a roll keep going no that's it i want to stop oh you want to stop uh <laughs> well uh yeah no you're you're right like it definitely i definitely didn't think about it in that context um first time i watched it but yeah it kind of does it kind of does like give that vibe of like you don't have to be okay with how things are like you can work to change them and like it, the, the one episode in the entire series that spoke to me the most or just like that had like the most impact because i just felt the absolute dread of this girl was homura doing the loop like yeah so 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 many times and every time she failed and do in you the just show explain do you want to explain that just for context yeah so in the show uh homura started out as a just an ordinary like tsundere girl who had no magical girl powers and madoka already had hers at this point um and then she got introduced to madoka sayaka and everyone and then she not a tsundere what what would be the other word she was like really shy that's not what a tsundere is kudere yeah i think that's right okay whatever rei anami is oh yeah you're right that's a um kudere yeah I got I got my dares mixed up but anyways yeah so she has no powers and then uh as we know like the magical girls abilities are based on the wish they make and in the final battle in this timeline Madoka dies and she wishes for the ability to save Madoka um I think I might be misremembering exactly what the Mm -hmm. phrasing was um, but basically it gave she her wishes for the ability to be able to save Madoka or right. something like that. Yeah. She wishes yeah. to be able to save Madoka essentially, which yeah. gives her the ability to go back in time. Um, mm. So she goes back in time 
repeating the same like what is it it's a couple months right it's like two months it's like a month it's like one month yeah 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 Yeah. repeating the same loop over and over and over again and some of the loops are like significantly worse than others like some people die in certain loops other people die don't die in others and Mm -hmm. you see her like continually getting closer to not make to having madoka not be a magical girl then there's one loop where Madoka is so close to not becoming a magical girl, and then she wishes for the power to de- to defeat Walpurgis not, and kills it in one hit, and instantly becomes a witch because she was that powerful. Jeez. Yeah. So I'm like, oh my god, you you can't win because you're literally fighting like the ultimate evil, and just like you just can't. And so she is that's her entire motivation through this entire series is I don't want Maduka to become Maguka because then she'll <laughs> die. Right. I guess it might be helpful to sort of explain generally how the world of Madoka works. Yeah. So you guys jump in if I get anything wrong. Cause I might, I probably will, but like, so magical girls exist. The way that you become a magical girl is that uh Kube makes a contract with you which is a whole meme in of yes. itself and the contract basically is you get to become a magical girl in exchange for one wish and that can basically be pretty much anything you want um <sighs> in exchange you have to become a magical girl and what Kube doesn't tell you is that your soul gets ripped from your body and put inside of a soul gem which if you're more than 100 meters away from it you're you basically become a corpse which Sayaka finds out the hard way, bless her soul. Um, and yes, Kyoko. I was surprised that even she like was a veteran and she didn't really know that until that happened to Sayaka. Yeah. yeah. That was messed up. I guess I guess they just assume that it's their charm, so they should never be away from it. Yeah. Like, it's, mm-hmm. It was also a very specific situation that led to it being away from yes. her. Right. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, okay. Monica way to go, Monica. Monica. And then yeah. the soldiers. Yes. So the soul and and so it, it, they they fight um they fight uh, both like what is it like curses and witches like curses are things that can metastasize into witches yeah. but then witches are like these like sort of Lovecraftian weird like mixed media Evangelion angel things magical girls who have fallen to the curses yes right. and that is the twist that is what Kube reveals later on that all of the witches that exist are magical girls whose soul gems have become tainted by their despair and by their, like, constant fighting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Cube, which is short for incubator, they call him that um, yeah. a few times, basically they're, like, this race of weird clone cat things that harvest the energy of witches and mag- magical girls in perpetual battle to do something i forget exactly what he said that they use the energy for just to power their because they work for like an basically a i forget if it's alien or interdimensional they're like a hive mind alien race i think and they basically think of humans as like it's he does the Yeah. yeah he does the like cheesy line where it's like we basically think of you like ants like yeah what's a couple of you dead it doesn't matter compared to like fueling our entire civilization they right. have they have no emotion. They operate purely on logic, which honestly to yeah. me is kind of ironic because the the magical the girls and the witches yeah. are a very emotional yeah. uh, concept. 
in this world like it's based Mm -hmm. purely on like the the hope of your wish is going to save the world or somebody become make lets you become a magical girl and then despair creates witches which are both very 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 intense emotions so it's Mm -hmm. ironic Mm -hmm. to me that the emotionless race is trying to harness them i think it's interesting and very telling that it's obvious that cube never watched monsters inc because we would know (laughs) that (laughs) the most powerful source of energy on the planet is children's laughter um it is also to think it is also funny to think of watching the show through the lens of having seen Avengers Infinity War and Endgame because <laughs> basically a lot of that is Madoka which is very interesting like Cube and Thanos would probably get along uh and Doctor Strange basically off screen does the whole Homer thing but he probably does it a lot more times he, yeah yes. we that's the thing also is we do not know how many times exactly Homer did it but from that one episode, we saw enough to know, like, oh my god, this girl's got it bad. Yeah, yeah. If you read context clues just from, like, interviews and with the show itself, it's indicated that it's at least several years. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is very Several depressing. years straight. <laughs> right. That's also why she I... becomes an emotionless blob, because she's just, like, mission, 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 mission. Yeah. Yeah, I had posted that in the group chat earlier and I was just like, well, I wasn't depressed until now. Thanks. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there's a lot of despair sort of inherent in the system of of Madoka, which which I think is um the reason why the ending is so impactful, like to know how much these girls go through, like not just our main characters, but like all magical girls across time and space which apparently joan of arc was a magical girl why not i thought that was really funny like relating yeah, that, like historical figures yeah cubase was like we've been doing this forever mm-hmm. um <laughs> and uh but anyway gosh what was i saying it was like um that's what makes the ending so impactful it's just like madoka makes the choice to like fix this system for all time forever yeah and she does that out of an act of pure selflessness uh she becomes the goddess maduka to save these magical girls from their unfortunate fate of becoming witches she just allows them to peacefully pass on instead of turning into uh ridiculous monsters um i kind of really like that ending i kind of thought it was funny about madoka's wish as well is you know like the concept of the monkey's paw it's like you make a wish but then there's like a caveat Mm -hmm. hers was like so carefully worded to be just like the ultimate wish and like there is no i was like there is no downside to her wish besides the fact that she had to you know leave this plane of existence but i'd say becoming a god is a pretty you know good trade-off pretty sick side of yeah. Like, yeah. yeah when yeah when was she thinking up all that wording because right. it's something specific like i wish i wish all to end the suffering of future. all i wish to erase girls. all my own before hand. they were yeah. born yeah. Yeah. yeah by my own hand and i'm just yeah. like damn okay and girl where were you hiding so that this yeah. whole time i think it was something like she said i wish to per i like i wish to end the suffering of all magical girls and the fact that she said i like i wish i could do it is like mm. okay you go and then take the darkness out of their soul gems or something mm. well i think she knows it's just that like somebody's got to do it you know right um 
but yeah i mean that's why i really like the ending to the show and rebellion complicates things and i don't like it but uh i don't entirely hate it but i guess we could talk about that a little bit after we talk about the show i think but true rebellion honestly we could do an entire episode on that alone because it's very it's true (laughs) it's true it is very dense but i think it i think it's good to talk about it in conjunction with the show even though it it it, you're you're right it, it could merit its own episode I guess before we go into talking about Rebellion too much, I I, I think I want to go like character by character and talk about like these girls specifically because sure. I think there is a lot to talk about with them. Um, so I guess we let's not start with Monica. Let's like save her for last. So I guess let's, let's just start, start with, with Mommy. Okay, Mommy. Oh, rock paper scissors. Three, two, <laughs> one. No, 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 no. Uh, either way, I'm fine. <laughs> Brian wins. I don't care. I don't care. Woo! <laughs> we could we could talk about Saika first. No, or we mommy. can talk about care. mommy first because let's go in order of death. Time. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Yes. <laughs> okay. That's that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. So Mommy Tomoe is our oldest uh, magical girl. She is the senior of the group, and she is the uh, the one that we encounter as a magical girl for the first time in the show. So for a long time, I think Mommy was definitely my favorite character in the whole ensemble. And I think that's probably still true because I just admire her um, her ability to be very like mature about this whole situation, to be very focused on the goal, to be you know a good senpai for the youngins. Uh, and I appreciate that. Um but it's it's ultimately like she she also has her own character flaws just like the rest of them um so what do you guys what do you guys think about mommy let's just throw it down about mommy tomoe honestly if we're speaking strictly in the context of the show there's really not much to say about her because she really didn't get that much of like development until rebellion but i still liked her as a concept like i liked the fact that she was dual wielding rifles i thought that was interesting for a magical girl show Mm -hmm. um and then she unceremoniously gets a haircut yeah (laughs) see you have to galaxy brain infer by what she tells the other girls to learn more about her which i found very interesting yeah um when i first watched the series mommy was my favorite because i felt like i related to her and like what she was going through the most but now that i've rewatched this and i'm in a much different mindset i've become a homura apologist (laughs) um (laughs) we're gonna have a problem well because mommy also is like very very suspicious of homura i remember because she was like she's a magical girl but we don't know where she got her powers from yeah yes and um just it was it was so tough to see her like achieve what she wanted like when madoka and her were having those conversations and madoka was like you're not alone anymore we're here for you and i was like oh god okay um and then like that same episode she dies and i'm just like that that really sucks but they had that amazing scene where after she dies 
her teacup drops to the table and like mm. shatters and the tea looks like blood and i didn't really pick up on that the first time yeah and i was like oh man that's really good storytelling mm-hmm. also <laughs> uh yeah. sayaka and madoka were in um charlotte's lair with her or wh- what do they call them like the witch's worlds Labyrinth? is there a specific term Labyrinth. 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 Thank yeah. You. Mm-hmm. um yeah, yeah, yeah. and they're in Charlotte's Labyrinth, and they're watching Mommy be all badass, and they think she defeated Charlotte. And then they're like, oh my god, Mommy is so cool. And then, you know, Charlotte molts and bites her head off, and they're like, yeah. wait, what? And then they're like, then oh my Homer god, Mommy. Like, yeah. And then Homer, <laughs> Homer comes to the rescue, and she's like, yeah, this is why I don't want you to become a fucking magical girl, because this is what happens to all magical girls. Hmm. And oh, that's when you that that's one. when you hear magia for the first time by the way and that that <laughs> song just hits so Slaps. different because i was like oh my god what the heck Thanks is happening here yeah. Yeah. yeah um i do feel like though in terms of mommy being a mentor figure i think it is true that she was pretty upfront about like the general danger of it and the fact that yeah you need grief seeds continuously in order to keep using mm. your powers yeah. I don't know if she knew any of the witch stuff or any of the, uh, like, turning into a freaking dead puppet whenever your soul gem's too far away from you. But uh, rewatching this series in order to do this podcast, I had literally forgotten that they were as upfront about those two things uh, mm-hmm. before episode three happened. Yeah, Mommy's kind of like, mm-hmm. she's just treating this whole thing as just like, kind of like a job, you know? It's just well, like, like, this is what I got to do. I remember them being yeah. upfront about it, but it was it was kind of in one of those, like, anime-ism type ways of like, oh, this is dangerous work, so you got to be careful. And it's like, we'll be careful, and then nobody gets hurt. <laughs> like, nope. yeah. so. And it's, yeah. it's so sad, too, because <clears throat> I forgot how young they all are. Yeah, like, yeah. they're eighth and ninth graders. Yeah. Like, mommy is the Gosh. older one. Yeah. And it's just like literally a child leading another child in this super dangerous situation. And yeah, like, mommy has that energy or that image that she's projected of herself. Like, you know, I'm the big sister type and I'm your mentor and, you know, I'm here to take care of you. And I'm just like, damn girl, you're like barely older than they are. And you're going through all this traumatic stuff too. And what are you, what are you doing? Like literally, what are you doing? Yeah. Just give her a, give her a big old hug. I know. One other interesting thing about Mommy and, like, her untimely demise is that Genrobuchi said, like, during the writing process that, like, he was asked to spare certain characters from the show uh, from from their untimely demise. But his argument was that, like, these characters, like Mommy and Kyoko and Sayaka, are, like, more remembered in the minds of fans and more sort of, like for lack of a better term, like, deified and, like, beloved 
because they end up having untimely deaths and he cited characters like caesar in jojo's bizarre adventure which you know a character like caesar is like he's probably only famous and beloved by uh jojo fans because you know he was a very tragic death in the series so people like loved him even more sort of because of that which i think that's an interesting uh interesting perspective to have it's just like sometimes you got to kill some characters i mean it's, Kamina, it's the Kamina ultimate betrayal yeah 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 <laughs> I, i'm not over that no i mean uh, I, I totally get that from a writing stance like sure not everybody needs to survive every story and like sometimes the story benefits from people dying and characters having to go through grief and stuff and especially characters that are like super memorable like i think it's it it's not it's not always a good thing to just kill off a character that nobody cares about like sometimes you have to kill off the character everybody loves like mommy like right. kamina like caesar you know mm-hmm. to actually yeah. make that point but anyway i think we should pivot and talk about another character so we were fighting over sayaka so let's talk about sayaka first uh, I know Tori has a galaxy brain theory about Sayaka. Do I? Yeah, you do. About her proclivity for certain cultural items. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. So, I think I mentioned earlier, maybe this wasn't on the actual recording, but I have gone over 24 hours without having any sleep. So, usually uh... when that happens, when I'm watching stuff, I tend to hyper-focus on really weird details. So today when I couldn't sleep and I was trying to finish off the series, I noticed three separate episodes where Sayaka eats a hot dog <laughs> and uh, oh, God. hang with me. It's still relevant. It's hold on. Just hold on. So that on top of like her carrying around the baseball bat and um, doing her interesting b-boy dancing in Rebellion during her transformation scene. I'm, like, 100% sold, sending it home, full stop, that Sayaka is in a marabou. Ah, and I will die on that hill. So, for those of us (laughs) who don't know what you're talking about. Oh, Um, for America, it's very, like, I don't know what that exactly means, but it's very, like, straightforward. (laughs) Oh, a marabou. Okay, I got you, I got you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, like, for American culture. I've never heard that term before, but that does make sense. She's, like... She's like five degrees away from wearing a cowboy hat and saying, okay. Yeah, well. and going yeehaw. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I'll. Are we talking about Sayaka now? Yeah, I yeah, yeah. Not, but okay, okay. Um, so I really disliked her the first time I watched the show because I was just like, you could wish for anything in the world. You could literally get a million dollars, end world hunger, never have to worry about anything again in your life, and you chose to give your wish to a stupid, ungrateful boy. How dare you? She could have um, done the she could have done the counter Thanos argument and instead wish to end disease. Mm. <laughs> and um, would I be wish like, all well, violin players would never have carpal tunnel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Kube um, would have been like, oh, well, he doesn't actually have a disease. He has a blah, blah, blah. It's from like an accident, <laughs> right? Or whatever. Anyway. I think so. Anyway, it, It's very vague, yeah. which also, and I'm sure we'll talk about, we're going to talk about Kube a little later on, but um, pin in it. Why are his powers so vague? Moving on. <laughs> um, I 
going back and watching this in a- again, like I said earlier, in a much different mindset, dude, like, you just realize that she has not so great self-esteem and is putting her worth in another person and I feel like a lot of us have been there and it really sucks when you like somebody and they don't like you back and you you know are like oh maybe if I do this thing for them they'll like me and that's just not a good attitude to have and it was actually really painful to watch going back with a little bit more of a mature attitude I guess I would say and um when she was just like now he'll never love me because I'm basically a zombie and I was just like okay I'm crying in the club right now like thank you (laughs) um and just her realizing how much of a mistake that she made and was basically tossed aside by him and it's never really explained how he and Hitomi like Kyosuke and Hitomi get together um so that would have been a little more interesting to see like I know she confesses to Sayaka that she likes him but that's about it and then you see like a titch of them interacting in rebellion but like I don't know it's just a mess of a situation and I feel like with each one of these characters like at some point everything they go through is relatable and kind of just watching that again was like I'm sorry that happened to you (laughs) yeah I completely agree I'm in the same boat I mean I think Sayaka like before I watched the series again I I distinctly remembered like Sayaka being the one that like everybody craps on it's just like oh Sayaka she just made a wish for a stupid boy and I'm like it's the trope that everybody dislikes the blue magical girl oh is that a trope is that real (gasps) Yeah, Not dude, me. people have been dogging on Sailor Mercury for decades. <laughs> You're a mermaid Sarah, best one. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was a really uh, funny meme I saw about Sayaka that I was trying to find for you guys, but I wasn't able to because it's from, like, ancient, ancient Tumblr. Mm. But basically, this girl commissioned uh, some person. She's like, can you draw Sayaka Mickey with mommy's hairstyle? And the artist was like, I'm going to be real. When I started drawing this, I thought you said head style. So that's what I just committed with. And it was basically just a headless Sayaka. Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's funny. That's funny. Uh, but gosh, anyway, back wrong. to the salient critique. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like Sayaka was the one everybody crapped on. But I think that's kind of undeserved because it's like she goes through something that's like really common especially for like younger people teenagers younger kids, teenagers like kids. trying to find themselves and it's just like hey i'm sorry the boy you like doesn't like you back i'm sorry he loves the violin more than breathing <laughs> uh he, he just beat that way and and he treated hitomi the same way because hitomi like he turned did, into a witch actually to be fair to her yeah. because a lot of people were being like oh hitomi's such a bitch and i hate her because she's in sayaka's life she did nothing wrong she and literally like, talked I, one-on-one to sayaka and was like hey i'm i'm gonna do this if you yeah, want to express so, your feelings first yeah. i'm giving you the chance to do that if yeah. Yeah, if we're gonna yeah. crit- if we're gonna criticize Hitomi, it'll be over homophobia and nothing else. Over her homophobia, yeah. yes. <laughs> girls can't love girls. Love girls. Yeah. yeah, iconic, absolutely. But iconic. you're both yeah. girls. Girls can't love girls. Girls can't love girls. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. I just kind of yeah, like... laugh at that scene because of how ridiculous it is. It's so. It's very like, silly. I kind of feel like in general, like that was still kind of a thing of the time, but in this day and age nobody's really like 
Nobody, unless Everyone's you're, a lesbian now. Yeah. No, I mean, it's like, nobody's like really, nobody really thinks that, or at least the people that I want to associate with thinks that way. So it's like, true. we could yeah, just kind of laugh at this joke. really over yeah. the top joke yeah. of the times and yeah. be grateful yeah. that nobody is like, nobody that I associate with again is like intolerant in that way. Oh, oh, sure. For yeah, sure. for sure. It is, um, it is a funny thing to make fun of because yeah. it's yeah. so silly. I mean, and also you know, there's like definitely a lot of Yuri subtext in this show. Like, oh, oh gosh. Boy, sure. wait till we get to Kyoko. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, with Sayaka, it's like 100%. I feel like I didn't realize when I watched it way back in high school and it was coming out, I didn't realize how much of her being upset about Kyosuke wasn't just... Uh, like her being like oh my god why doesn't he automatically love me because I gave him back his hand mm-hmm. or whatever it was also her being like I have lost my bodily autonomy like I am not a human mm-hmm. being anymore mm-hmm. I am not deserving of love anymore and that's just so mm. much more sad yeah and, yeah yeah and also but yeah. the fact that by the end of the series whenever Gataka like goes and like frees her or whatever that she's like i forgot that the reason why i didn't did what i did wasn't like because i wanted him to fall madly in love with me it was because i wanted him to be able to play the violin again and for other people to be able to hear him to play again and it was like mm. uh-huh. uh. yeah yeah but yeah i definitely i, I think, hated her when i was yeah. younger and now i'm like she's not my favorite character but she's definitely the most interesting i feel like because yeah. it's just like so yeah. definitely <laughs> definitely like that was one of the hardest parts of the show was when she realized like i literally don't have a soul anymore and just mm. was going around just resigning herself to fate going feral yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. and then like the, the it, scene it really, the scene where her soul sick, gem though. explodes and she becomes a witch like that was insane yes oh my gosh mm. or when she's um in the labyrinth and like hacking at that witch and is like oh yeah if i just repress my emotions nothing hurts and i'm like damn bitch we've all been there <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, a quick aside yeah. about that the uh, scene where her soul gem shatters also um i rewatched the movies as well just because i kind of wanted to do a compare oh, contrast the because they're, the first two movies are <laughs> a literal recap of the show they're mostly <laughs> the same the show does go into more detail but like the movies are better animated and it has a new soundtrack um but yeah, the no first movie, faces in the movie ends yeah i'm sorry uh no maguka faces in the movie yeah yeah no, no maguka faces and the fence gets which bigger is, and bigger which is very sad <laughs> but um yeah so the first movie ends with that scene like sayaka's soul gem explodes and envelops the screen in black and then magia starts playing so that's where mm-hmm. that movie ends and so what an ending right and so i'm like imagine this is how you're watching madoka magica for the first time and it ends on that scene and you're still in the denial phase of no this is a magical girl show it can't possibly be this dark and you're like but sayaka's okay right right and then you start you you wait the year however long it was for movie two you start movie two and sayaka is deader than dead like i can't imagine mommy's still dead right my clock oh yep mommy's still dead i can't imagine like watching madoka the first time like that Mm. like Mm -mm. that would be torture yeah Yeah. (laughs) 
um, I was going to say something about Sayaka, and now I can't remember. Um, but I think that I think that is a good point that uh, you brought up, Sarah, about how like Sayaka makes her motivations a little bit more clear towards the end of the show, mm-hmm. which make which definitely makes her a little bit more sympathetic. And it is it is interesting to note that uh, Sayaka is Urobuchi's um, favorite character in the cast. So it, it because a lot of the show's runtime is dedicated to like her arc specifically, mm-hmm. um, like especially in like the middle of the TV series, it's like all Sayaka Town. Yeah. Uh, Maybe that was a story that was personal to him and was kind of working yeah. through it. I don't Could know. Be. That'd be well, that's no, that's the thing is like <laughs> I said before, he relates his characters to a personal thing about himself. So I'm like, did you do yeah. something for a boy again? Like, <laughs> <laughs> did you not re- love you back? Yeah. He loves the violin so much. Yeah. Right. He's Aww. in love with the middle school violinist. So. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. I, uh, Wee woo. Oh, no. Canceled. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we've talked about mommy and Sayaka. I guess we can jump to Kyoko next. Uh, yep. Kyoko is is interesting. She likes to eat and play DDR, so that makes her pretty cool to me. And she's very loud. Um, very loud. Southern representation, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she has a she she has a twang in her speech at times. Yeah. Uh, kind of informal. She's kind of like a punk i guess um but uh kyoko's st- kyoko i find kyoko's story like very interesting because so much of it takes place like in the past and she basically like relays it to all of the girls in narrative form uh she was like um my dad used to be a preacher or something mm-hmm. and he was a he- preacher and he's and uh people stopped coming to his church and then I made a wish with Cubay so that people would come back, and they did. And then my dad found out that I have magical powers and, like, killed himself, which is, like, pretty tragic. But she kind of tells it like that, so it's a little bit like, oh, wow, that's you're, you're a little oversharing there, my, my dude. But that, that's, <laughs> that's okay. Trauma. That's trauma. That's a trauma, yeah. But, uh, no, she, she has a very interesting story, but I think, I, I think it could have benefited from some additional runtime, maybe, with Kyoko. Because um, her... She's very memorable and very fun and a very cool character, but maybe doesn't have quite as much meat on the bones as some of the other ones. Yeah, I definitely, when I went to watch this show, I was like, what do you mean? It's so, there's only 12 episodes on Netflix. Where's the rest of it? Because I, for <laughs> yeah. some reason, remembered it being 24 episodes because I was like, there's no way they get through all of that crap. You're not the only one. Been. Yeah, yeah, you're not the only yeah. one. One of my friends thought the exact same thing. Yeah, hers definitely would have been an interesting story to expand upon because, like, was her dad a cult leader? Was he just a regular religious preacher? Um, mm-hmm. You know, what kind of came of, you know, him killing his family and himself and things like that? Um, she obviously is very kind of like, you can tell it really bothers her, but she kind of has that, like, trauma deflection response where she's just like... Not really jokey about it, but she kind of just talks about it so blasé, sort of. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, my dad killed himself. It is what it is. And then he, you know, left me behind. And now I'm doing this. Um, also, I love a good, juicy enemies, the lovers romance. <laughs> mm. And um, Kyoko. No. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm kidding. And um, I 
realized how much more prevalent that kind of was going back and rewatching it and just being like, oh my god, like they literally were at each other's throats and about to kill each other. And now um, Kyoko is just like, I'm going to die with you so you won't be lonely anymore. And yeah. that's just what it is. And I'm yeah. like, like tearing up so bad during that episode. And then they have the audacity to like end it with a duet between the two yeah, voice actresses that's like super again. gay yeah oh. and i'm just like why oh. are you doing this to me and then i just started crying and i'm like i i hate this because like it is one of my greatest fears to die lonely and not to get to like tmi on the podcast but just seeing kyoko like give up everything for this girl that like She's not really known that long because she just doesn't want her to suffer anymore. It's just like, you're an angel. I would also die for you. Good job. Mm-hmm. Like Kyoko's demise is like, very, it's again, kind of like Madoka. It's very selfless, like, yeah. which is pretty interesting. Because I think that, you know, she, she's, she confronts Sayaka about like caring too much about the world. And she like cares nothing for the world and for no one. And like. Except for the developers Sayaka, of Dance Dance Revolution. <laughs> exactly that's true except DDR, yeah. <laughs> and snack f- snack food companies um taiyaki manufacturers shout out to but, hostess uh, <laughs> um but yeah like sayaka shows her like a different way to live and then kyoko sees that like she's in trouble and that she does actually care for this other person and decides to do a selfless act to put put her out of her misery which is all extremely tragic but uh yeah but cool cool character development on the part of kyoko um and uh yeah i did want to make a note about that duet song that's uh one of the few well maybe not one of the one of the few endings that's not magia was uh actually composed by the late wawaka so shout out to him Oh, I completely forgot about that. Oh man, yeah. that makes it even worse somehow. <laughs> Rest in peace. Yeah, the show's endings um, are all really good. Like I think it, it's three or four different endings, and mm-hmm. they all when when they hit the for the first time, they all are like a freight train. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's very fun, and kind of says the show to me relies a lot on context clues and I know there's a spin-off show that gives more context and I know none of us have watched that and maybe we'll get around to it eventually but you really kind of have to like read between the lines and look at the little details but I think it's mm-hmm. so funny when Madoka introduces herself to Kyoko and she's like we're gonna work together my name's Madoka and Kyoko's like nice to meet you but instead of shaking her hand she hands her a Numaibo stick. <laughs> and yeah, I was like, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a cute little character flourish. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. down to our last two characters Madoka and Homura but I think I think it's best to talk about Madoka and Homura by talking about Rebellion first we have to talk about QB I guess we could talk about QB but he's more of like 
Cubase the devil, basically. <laughs> yeah. He's he he is he is Mephisto in uh, uh, the Doctor Faustus legend. He is the uh, the deal with the devil, the proverbial devil in that situation. He, he's also the Mephisto um, in the Marvel universe. Uh, yes, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, there um, he is. No, you found him, I'm Marvel sorry. fans. Way to go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to say Mephisto. I meant to say Mephistopheles. Oh. That's what oh. I meant to say. I was like, oh, maybe that's what Mephisto's named after. It probably I think, is. I think he is. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, I forgot until they mentioned again, mentioned it again, that Cube is a play on words for incubator. And yeah. that's very fun. I like that a lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and it's a great... Um, it's a great switcheroo because Cube sounds like cute baby. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in rebellion, sort of, he cute, is cute. a little cute baby. Oh, he's so cute. Uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I don't think I ever have been so angry lately watching something it's like watching your really good friend in like a really bad relationship and like Mm -hmm. you can see all the bad (laughs) things happening but they can't and you're just like get out get out he's gaslighting you yeah exactly and he's like he's gaslighting you he's setting you up he's gatekeeping you he's girl bossing you like come on (laughs) yeah you is the meme yeah, it just made me so angry. But then I sat there the entire time thinking, you know what? I'd sell my soul to this little bastard. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> well, well, it would be way too much work that. once you did it. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's, let's talk about that as one of our final questions. What our wish would I be. Did yeah. note, I did notate that, yeah. That would be a good one. Well, before we talk about Rebellion, I guess, uh, it's important to note where the TV series ends. And so basically, the TV series ends with... Um, Basically, Monica ends up making her wish against Homura's wishes, but her wish is, again, like we said earlier, to prevent all witches from being born. So basically, in effect, she prevents um, magical girls from becoming witches whenever their soul gem gets uh, contaminated. Including herself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Including herself and including everyone. But the cost of that is that she basically ceases to exist as like a physical person in the world. She basically becomes like this goddess entity. And most everyone except for Homura forgets that she ever existed. But, I mean, that was her, her choice. You know, she made that choice. It's a very selfless choice that is very admirable. Um, because she basically... She ends this sort of despair cycle. She becomes the new cycle. They even call it that. They call her the law of cycles, which is very interesting. Um, and then basically she goes on unremembered, but uh, everyone is basically back, like Mommy and Sayaka and Kyoko and Homura. They still exist as magical girls, but basically the idea of witches is gone whenever magical girls... Um, Whenever their time is up, they just disappear instead of turning into witches. Um, but there still exists like uh, evil curses and things in the world that need to be defeated. So that's basically what the magical girls do now. And everything appears to be at peace. But then rebellion comes along and <laughs> changes some things. Um, so I am not a rebellion lover, but I will say that I love the film in the context of its visual excellence 
Like, it is easily the best the show looks, top to bottom. Uh, every Everything that the show does right in both visual and music... Um, in, in hold on everything that the show does right in both the visual and music department i think rebellion just completely one-ups it in every way like it looks just absolutely stunning and some of the sequences are just unforgettable like um the transformation sequences that they go through like towards the beginning of the film all of the background designs the the cake scene where they do the little rhyming song is so cute and fun and it's a great movie in that regard, but it it overcomplicates some things. But I don't I don't want to introduce uh, Rebellion necessarily as somebody who's kind of wishy washy on it. So somebody <laughs> somebody go for it on me. So Rebellion um, is the Madoka magical Madoka Magica threequel that nobody asked for, but most of the fan base, to my knowledge, absolutely dies for. Mm. <laughs> and it is honestly one of the weirdest follow-ups i've ever seen because for most of the movie you're left wondering what the heck is going on because it completely negates everything about the ending you just watched um some people compare it to the end of evangelion but i don't really think that's a super excellent comparison i don't i don't think so either no because like ava tv has an ending but not really madoka Mm -hmm. absolutely has an ending ending. yeah ava tv definitely like you could tell that it was missing something and then end of Mm -hmm. evangelion picks up where the plot left off so it's Mm -hmm. not the same in my mind but rebellion is just something entirely different like when i was watching it with my friends for the first time we noticed um what are the enemies in that one they're phantoms right right Wraiths or nightmares. Well, they're, they're, if it's in rebellion, nightmares. it's nightmares. Nightmares. Yeah. Nightmares. Yeah. But um, that was the thing that caught us off guard at first. Is we weren't sure if it was just a new translation or something, because mm. at the end of Madoka Magica, they were fighting reapers, and wraiths. It was wraiths. Mm-hmm. Okay. Again, apparently, way, apparently yeah. there is some either way the translation. Yeah. Either way, the darkness entity changed <laughs> again. They're called the Heartless and the Nobodies. Right. Yeah. So basically, at the end of Madoka Magica, they were fighting the Heartless, and then at the beginning of Rebellion, they're fighting the Nobodies. And we were like, wait, they were fighting the Heartless. Who are these guys? Yeah, this is perfect. Perfect. And also, Madoka's back, so we're like, how is Madoka back? And how is literally everyone else back? Like, Mm -hmm. so it starts to, like, kind of unveil clues as to what's going on until the ultimate reveal, which I thought was quite satisfying personally when you say the ultimate reveal i mean that homura has been a witch the whole time during this movie and uh, that everything happening has been something self-contained within her soul gem as an Mm. attempt by the incubators to try to summon and control madoka Mm -hmm. yeah i really liked that angle because i think that that made it it made it tie into the TV series in a way that I thought worked really well because Cube gave a lot of indications that the incubators are very conniving, very methodical, and they're always looking for a way to like optimize their productivity no matter the cost. Um, 
So it, it definitely sounds like something the incubators would try to do, you know, figure out sort of what's this whole law of cycles thing about? How can we harness this cycle, this law of nature to benefit us? Um, and I think, you you know, being able to doing what they did uh, make, makes made, made a lot of sense from that from that angle, I think. Yeah. Um, do I agree with what happened? No. Is it logical? Yes. Did I love and cherish every moment of it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> when it started out and everybody was back, like, I was just so tense. Like, I, I knew, like, the first time I saw it, I was just so tense. I was like this can't be right what's happening they're going to pull mm-hmm. this out for me at any moment and nobody's allowed to be happy like what what's going on and um you know and then you start to see that like ryan was saying everything is this like construction and homer realizes it and then mommy's like what are you doing and she goes to kyoko and um, it's like, I came to you first because you're the one acting the strangest. And then we see Homer as a witch. And when that reveal happened, I was just like, oh my gosh, like that is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And I hate it. Like, it was so. <laughs> seeing, seeing the fight with Homer as witch also was so oh. good. Cool. Very cool. I know. And I will, and... I will say, you know, ta- you talking about tension, like. That fight, the first time I watched this movie, the fight between Homura and Mommy, oh, I thought so like, good. oh, straight, oh my gosh, yeah. I thought like so straight good. up, like they were gonna kill each other, like yeah. no questions. No, that was like, that's oh, how. Yeah, the tension was razor thin. It was so good. Um, but with that character design of, I think what did they call her? She had a name. Um, Bebe. No. Um, oh. No. 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 Uh, Homura. Um, the Homa witch Lily. Homura. Yes, Homa Lily. And um, just seeing that, like, you could feel the pain and the anguish in that character design. It was just like, oh, my God, I hate this. I hate this so much. But, um, yeah, and then the stuff with uh, Bebe happened, and I was like, did we need this? I know you want to sell more figures, but did we need this? (laughs) Yeah, Um, why why not? Sure. But watching through, I unfortunately... um, just got caught up in doing some errands today and didn't like totally get to finish rewatching Rebellion, but I was like, oh god, um, Bebe is the spirit of every white millennial because all she's doing is screaming about cheese. Um, <laughs> I loved her Capone, actually because she was, yeah, I loved her because she was Charlotte's magical girl, yeah, yeah, um. So that, that was an interesting creative twist. And a lot of people from just like reviews I was reading earlier today were kind of like divisive about that. Like most people were like, oh, I thought it was a cute addition. It was interesting. And everybody else was like, oh, yeah, it, it was just to sell toys. And I was like, yeah, yeah of course. Um, but I don't know, man. I I am a Homer apologist. And sometimes it is very cathartic to just watch a character go down into like ultimate deep despair and lose it and like go full yandere and be like if i can't have you no one can and like that's not something that's ever viable in real life right like you don't do that people have their own agency but like just watching that and like knowing how much homer loved madoka and how she kept going year after year after year to like 
for years rather to try to save her and eventually just got to the point where it was like I can't do this anymore so this is the only thing I know how to do and that's like pull out the soul of my weird con conceptual space goddess girlfriend and like make her my sworn mortal enemy <laughs> and I don't know man it, it's, it's just, just a metaphor like, for puberty yeah basically basically <laughs> and um the best thing the ending of Rebellion Man. did made me excited for movie four because I'm just like, they just turned Homura into a literal demon. So where the heck are they going next? Yes, okay. that's what I'm so excited for, too. I'm just like, they literally actually made her Satan. Yeah. <laughs> what what are they going to do next? Because, you know, Monica yeah. is God and Homer and she is knows, Satan. So and are that's they gonna... the thing also. She knows she's God. Like, because at the very end, yeah. she was just like, something's wrong. And Homer, like, snapped her out of it. But she's just, she's going to eventually wake up. Mm. I think, I think the movie is going to be, the next movie is going to be Monica, like, taking her down and that's going to be extremely painful and it hurts me to even think about it but um it, it's going to be interesting to see where they go kind of go back to characterization for a minute because I know we got kind of caught up in what we were talking about but I, it didn't really hit me until going back and watching it again just how like tragic of a character Homura is and mm. you want to root for her to be the hero and she is and she keeps trying and that's where the TV series leaves it and it's like oh great you know like she's continuing Madoka's wish she's going to keep protecting the world and keep people safe and then you get Rebellion, and it's like, I like this. I like that she's become the villain. It's a very interesting turn of events, but it doesn't feel good. Mm. And I feel like, like you and I kind of talked about this earlier, where it feels like it sort of undoes all the really good character growth that they had given her um, in the TV series for, like, you know, what they could do in the TV series. But, like... Like I said, it's just so interesting to see a character who was fighting so strongly against something give into it and, like, kind of ruin their whole lives. I don't know, that sounds terrible, but... Yeah. <laughs> it, has, like, it has, like, this mythic quality about it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, which which adds to the, the powerful sort of resonance that these two extremes have, because ultimately, Madoka and Homura... And this has kind of been true throughout the whole show. It's like they're kind of the yin and yang of each other. They're two, like, opposites, essentially. Because mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. basically the whole problem is, like, Homura knows Madoka's fate and is trying to change it. Um, but she becomes so blinded by her pursuit that she ends up sort of, in a way, robbing Madoka of her own autonomy, or at least trying to. Mm -hmm. and um basically it's like madoka you know she it's like homura knows because she's seen it that madoka's fate is not a good one 
but it it does take you know it i guess you could argue that homura did succeed in a way and that madoka becoming gadoka is a success for homura but homura is so like she can't it's like she can't accept that because it's not what she wanted it's not what she wanted yeah like she doesn't want what madoka wants she wants what she wants and yeah that's not necessarily the right thing mm-hmm and I yeah. like what the TV show presents, where, like, Homura is, like, kind of cool with this. Um, and I think, in a way, this discussion kind of talks about the characterization between Madoka and Homura anyway, so I don't think we really need to have a separate conversation about that, because this is kind of what they're about. Um, but it's, like, to me, the the reading of the TV series ending that I got was that Homura ultimately accepts that this reality is what Madoka wished for, so therefore I should move on and be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, not that it doesn't hurt, but that this is what she wanted. This is the right thing. But what um, about the post credit scene, though? In Rebellion or in no, the TV in the, show? in the TV show. I think it's also in the second movie. Um, which Can you one? refresh my memory? Yeah, uh, so it's after... All of the, like, you know, this is how freaking Magical Girl Society works now, blah, blah, blah. Credits roll, Magia plays, Magia ends, and then you see Homura walking through a desert um, facing, like, a whole crowd of wraiths, and then she sprouts these weird witchy wing things and just kind of, like, flies at them, and you're like, um, what the fuck is that, though? What is that about? (laughs) Was that not insinuating that she was using some of Madoka's power because you hear Madoka tell her something like don't give up or something to that effect that's what I took from it at least I don't know if that's right yeah well those wings are distinctly witchy that is true yeah yeah the post credits from Rebellion also kind of was the biggest redeeming quality for that movie is that Kyubei got what it deserved (laughs) that's true Uh... I hope Homura inflicted so much lasting pain on that little furball. I yep. swear. I just love that scene where it's like, we need something to control the darkness. And she's like, great, you'll do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think all of us have talked a lot about um, Rebellion. But uh, well, hold on, let me start that over. Um we haven't heard much from you on your thoughts about Rebellion, Sarah. So what what's your take on Rebellion overall? Are you uh, a Rebellion defender? Okay, wait. Okay, for starters, I didn't watch any <laughs> of the movies until like two months ago. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Okay. So wow. it hasn't even been marinating for me like as long as it has for other fans, right? Mm. Uh, it's definitely weird. It's definitely... I mean, like, the other two movies are cool and everything, and then Rebellion's, like, nuts. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe it's kind of hinted at by that post credit scene enough to, like, justify its existence in the franchise as being, like, you know, this isn't just a cash grab. This isn't, like, maybe it's kind of a cash grab, but it's not 100% a cash grab. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's anime, so it's inherently. It's always, a cash grab. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I just feel like um. I feel like it gives Homura what she wants for once. After we watch the whole series, just be 
Homura not getting what she wants, even by the end, because uh, she just wants Madoka to live a happy, normal life. And even Madoka's like, mm-hmm. no, nah, I want to save everybody, even if it means I get to be a freaking god now. Okay, bye. You know? <laughs> um. So I feel like it's interesting in that aspect and that you sort of get to see more of her perspective a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it is also just kind of like, oh my god, really? Does this? But but do we gotta do this though? But must we? <laughs> because like she grabs the piece off of Gadoka when she's literally going up to Homer and being like, it's okay, we can be together now for all eternity. Like right. you can be my homie the way Sayaka and Nagisa are. We can totally just like roll around saving people the whole time. Mm-hmm. But Homura doesn't want that. She wants to just have a normal life with Madoka, I guess. She's and then sort of unwilling to make any compromises because she's been convinced in her head that she knows what she wants. Right, and, and that she knows nothing... what's best. Mm-hmm. And that, yeah, exactly. And she knows what's best, even despite Madoka also being like, no, I think I, think I know what's best for me, dog. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, ooh, it's super messed up, but it's super cool to watch, but it's super yeah. crazy, you know? No, that's true. Yeah. I guess the reason I'm kind of down on Rebellion is that I don't I don't not find these things very fascinating to <laughs> mm-hmm. watch on screen. Yeah. I just generally prefer something that 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 goes through like an extreme tragedy and comes out with like an applicable hopeful. lesson at the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some sort of hopeful thing that people can adapt to their yeah. own lives into their own perspectives. And like rebellion is very is kind of mean-spirited in that regard. It's just like no. um <laughs> yeah. It's just it's just like we see Homura like, you know, she kind of comes to terms with these things. She has a little bit of character growth. She understands. But then it was just like, nah, she was fricked up the whole time. Um and right. that's fine. It's you know you're like watching a tragedy, but it, it is a little frustrating to see something that like had an ending that I really liked, and then it had an ending I didn't really like. Mm-hmm. As opposed to something like again, not to bring it back to Ava because they're difficult to compare, but like end of Ava is a little bit more depressing than Evangelion TV. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't like it doesn't like ruin it. I don't think it doesn't like swerve into a totally different direction i think it, it largely complements the ending of the show whereas the, di- the the dissonance between these two endings to me is a little bit more jarring that's fair i feel like that's valid mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but yeah i don't know i think um, it's a neat little movie <laughs> yeah <laughs> Correct me if I'm wrong, because (laughs) I didn't get to fully refresh myself on Rebellion, like I had said earlier, Mm -hmm. but I think an interesting aspect um, to see, because my friend reminded me of this a few weeks ago, and it just lives in my head rent-free, but according to an audio drama in the original timeline, Madoka made her wish to save a dying cat that she had befriended. Mm -hmm. And so I think a very interesting relationship or story dynamic to have explored between her and Homura would have been any potential, like, resentment. Because, like, I... This is gonna make me sound terrible, but, like, I understand being so caught up in that moment. You're like, 
you know, oh my gosh, this animal's dying. Like, what do I do? Oh, I give up my own life for this stray cat. Like, that just doesn't sound... Like, it's so naive, yeah. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And It's very middle hearing, school. I, yeah, yeah. And, and she is a middle schooler, you know? Yeah. So, like, it, it makes sense, but I'm just... Maybe I'm thinking about it too hard with adult brain, and I'm just like, <laughs> I wouldn't give up my whole life. I feel like I think maybe in that as much as I love universe, she wasn't, like, as up to date on all of the different like soul gym grief seed you can you have to risk okay, your we life will, to do this like i think she just saw a dead cat and was her. like oh no and then qb was there like hey you want to save that cat's life i got a deal for you like <laughs> that is fair we'll give her the benefit of the doubt but she, she like, comes around just... the corner wearing like a trench coat and a fedora <laughs> hey. Hey, <laughs> i just i wonder how she feels knowing that this all like essentially started over that and i'm just like well now your girlfriend's a concept and you're a concept and everybody's floating in space and like you know um i think that would have just been a really neat little thing to have explored that's that's a very complicated relationship dynamic and Mm -hmm. you know that's that's a thing that show shows up in relationships like platonic romantic like people can grow to resent each other and i think with her going into that like psychosis and snapping that would have been maybe something that like pushed her over the edge at some point that's a good point about resentment because i mean i'm sure that you know it i think it clearly manifests in a way that homura would probably never admit to but it seems Mm. like she does resent madoka for like in a way making her go through all of this trauma constantly which is why maybe she does want to take it out on Madoka. And I did think it was interesting in that, um, you know, the scenes that were happening after Homura basically rips Madoka apart that are Mm -hmm. in the new Homura reality where she's like a a demon now. Mm -hmm. It's like most of all those scenes don't include Madoka. Like she's just absent. It's like Homura has ejected Madoka from the equation. Yeah. I know that like within within that world it's that Madoka has not yet arrived as a transfer student yet, but I do think that it's very intentional that like the world that Homura ostensibly created for herself um to be her paradise and Madoka is largely absent. Should we talk about Madoka opinions then? Like what do we think about Madoka? Yeah. I I think Madoka's pretty cool. <laughs> she's neat. Yeah, Monica's neat. <laughs> she's, she's neat. I just think she's neat. <laughs> I think she's neat. Uh, no, I think Madoka is, as a character, she is, um, she has that sort of uh, naivety about the world that makes you, like, appreciate her, but she's also, like, kind of insightful about it. I mean, I kind of talked about this earlier. It's like, I, I love her radical hopefulness, and I really, really respect that a lot, um, where she's just like, well, if there's something going wrong, I'll just fix what causes things to go wrong and i'm just like dang dude that's like the same attitude that like every single person that has ever wanted to improve society also has and i appreciate that a lot because i think that's very more constructive than like just blanket nihilism Mm -hmm. so i guess from that i have a lot of respect for madoka she's also pretty cool yeah yeah i like that even though she's really naive which is 
you know, if you watch any Magical Girl series, they are all naive and gladly accept transformation items from talking animals with not-so-honest intentions. But um, she is still kind of fairly self-aware. Like, when she was talking to Mommy and was like, you know, I really admire you and I might not be smart and I might not be good at a lot of things, but I don't think that should stop me from helping people. And I'm just like, Mm. well, that's really good advice, actually. Like, you know, I'm not the smartest person, but if I can help somebody, like, I'm gonna help them. Um, So I think her kind of acknowledging that and trying to live that philosophy was really refreshing in a way that felt really grounded. Um... I appreciate that little pink girl. <laughs> I think, yeah, she does a good job at centering centering the idea in her life of just, like, compassion and care for others being more important than, like, talent or skill or anything like that or prowess or power. Um, and I think that's just, like, a great thing to do. But she's also, like, she's not completely immune to all the, everything that happens around her. She's not always, like, happy face because, like, she gets pretty depressed about a lot of things and she doesn't not show it, you know? Yeah, she cries a lot. <laughs> she she does, and deservedly for, so. Yeah, for, oh. like, really good reasons to cry. Oh, yeah. Cory, yes. what like, did you say? You said it was, like, every episode except for one that Madoka's crying in. <laughs> yeah uh-huh something wow. like that every episode i think but one and two and maybe one of the last ones she mm. doesn't cry in and uh so. just just a side note i really didn't appreciate that none of madoka's parents went with her to sayaka's funeral i hated that that like bothered me i don't know why it just bothered me so bad mm. i feel like that was an oversight maybe so like come on like your daughter's best friend just died and you made her go to the funeral by herself that was probably just an accident yeah yeah i don't know madoka's mother is a raging alcoholic and her father seems to get extremely caught up in whatever he's doing at the moment so maybe they just forgot no 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 (laughs) i i refuse to accept that they should they should have gone this is her best friend just died you know Uh, anyway i know (laughs) i did it did make me sad in the very last episode when when mommy okay so when mommy first dies and this is an extreme tangent but it did remind me because of sayaka's funeral but when mommy first dies and they're like, nobody's going to find her body. It's going to be, like, months before they report her as a missing person. And then, like, you get that little bit in the end where they talk about finding Sayaka. And then, like, they immediately going in, go into, like, talking about investigating another missing girl, which I'm assuming is Mommy. And I'm just like, well, this kind of turned out better than expected, I guess. They still died, but they're not gone forever. Yeah, I guess that's true. I don't even... Yeah. <laughs> That, that was kind of one of the things is I'm just like, yeah, these people are dead. Like, how do you explain to their parents why their daughters are not coming home? Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Well, with mommy, it's easy because she doesn't have parents. Well, yeah, wow. mommy doesn't have parents. <laughs> I mean, they definitely did say that. That is true. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.
right, so there's undoubtedly lots of things we probably could have continued to talk about with Madoka Magica, but uh, it's getting late. We've already been here for over two hours at this point, and I think we've had enough and the audience has had enough <laughs> of Madoka, even though there's no such thing because this is a really, really good and fun well, maybe not fun, but interesting and enjoyable franchise in its own way. Impactful. Maybe that's the word I was looking for. Mm. Yes. Anyway, uh, final. we're going to do final thoughts on the series and the movie and our hopes looking forward to the uh, sequel film to Rebellion that hopefully will come out within the next few years or so. And then do the thing that we like to do, which is talk about our most iconic scenes from the property. So, uh, Ryan, I will let you go first. Okay. So overall, uh, I went into Madoka with the same uh, mindset that you went into it when you were a high schooler, and that's that magical girl shows are for girls, and I'm a boy. So (laughs) I was very pleasantly surprised with the entire franchise, and I am, like I mentioned already, I'm very excited to see where it goes next, because I have no idea what they're planning to do at this point, because it's it's just been so long and i don't know i i hope that we get it within the next year but that's very wishful thinking i doubt it's actually going to happen but definitely watch this show especially if you don't like magical girl shows mm-hmm. um tori yeah um i would say That's what I'd say. <laughs> I'm so tired. Oh, my God. Um, no, I would say, like, keep fighting. Even if you don't think things are going to change, they will. You always have somebody rooting for you, even if you don't see it. And you have to become a space god concept. And, like, make sure you go into this in a good mindset. Because I've been in a rough place the past month or so. And this just hit a lot different. I was like, hmm, yeah, I'm going to do some self-examination when I'm done here. <laughs> um, well, self-examination but... is good. That is yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. Try to try to be a Madoka and not a Homura, you know? <laughs> Love intensely, but not so much you try to control somebody, you know? <laughs> That's all I got. I'm tired. I'm sorry. It's all, it's all. <laughs> It is all good. We're all tired, but we're going to make it through. And thank you, audience, for sticking with us. Um, So my my final thoughts on Madoka, I think I enjoyed it more this time around than I did the first time, which I think is generally a good thing to... I I find it generally very enriching to revisit media that you like from time to time and to see how your thoughts on it have changed or evolved or uh, become more complex as you've gotten older and I definitely think that's the same here for Madoka. I enjoyed it a lot when it came out, but I think I enjoy it even more now. Um, I am very excited to see what they do with it going forward. I'm a little bit apprehensive that it's going to, again, be sort of too much piled onto a thing that's basically fine as is. But I don't know. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss it immediately out of hand i will uh definitely give it a fair shake and i know it will be absolutely gorgeous um my problems with rebellion aside i think that it's it's a fine movie and uh it's it it's a i think a fair 
and reasonable addition to the franchise, even if I don't love it 100%. Um, but yeah, it's great. You should check it out. It's it's a it's literally a modern classic. So give it a watch. Uh, so Sarah, end us out. All right, here we go. Ending strong. Not really. Let's go. Um, Madoka Magica is indeed a modern classic. If you find that you are a fan of any kind of anime, you should definitely at least give it a shot. Um, and if you are worried about like the art style or something, give it a shot anyway, because it doesn't matter and it looks really cool. If you're a teenager, it's going to be really, really cool, but maybe piss you off a little bit. And then if you're a more mature individual, uh, it's just going to make you really sad. So buckle up and get ready. <laughs> I feel like yep. that's the biggest difference I've noticed rewatching it mm. now versus like <laughs> 10 years ago. Um, yes. But yeah, I feel like it's had lasting power because it is so... I don't want to say unique, but like it is like a very different concept, Potent. especially whenever it was first realized, right? Um, mm -hmm. And not only that, but also it was done in a way that humanized all these characters a lot and that um, just made the best of the media it was using in terms of animation. Um, mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah especially the Maguka faces for perfect, perfect memes back <laughs> oh, in the God. day. Maguka okay, we got, to the, right. we, we got to the end of the episode. <laughs> Ryan, I know this is this is one of the questions that you had for us. And so can you explain what we've been alluding to, Maduka Maguka? Because the people have made it this long, they deserve it. So <laughs> you remember the, the, the website 4chan.org? Oh. <laughs> I've heard of it. So there are some wholesome spots of that. And occasionally on the anime board, somebody posts something that's just really funny. So this person took all of the Maguka screenshots, which are basically the really poor like background artwork of character faces from the original series, and just gave them all funny names and wrote a plot synopsis. And it's <laughs> like a five to seven minute video on YouTube with full voice acting and everything. And it is just an absolute treat. And it is the reason that I regularly say to people, being Maguka is suffering. Mm -hmm. It has a lot yes. of quotable lines in it, like, my oh, yeah. city now. Wi-Fi. <laughs> Wi-Fi. It's incredible. So we'll definitely put a link to that in the show notes. And it also took sure you all of my willpower to not refer exclusively to Homura as Hammy Roo. <laughs> i would recommend actually watch the show and get an affinity for it before you watch maduka maguka because oh you will have no idea you'll have no way. idea what's yeah. going on if you watch maduka <laughs> yeah. maguka before yes, you watch exactly. yeah. it's way it's funnier walgreens night. Yeah. walgreens night oh yeah i had a i had a tidbit about walpurgis knocked in here but i'm not even gonna go there because it's already at the end yeah um yeah, so we have a fine. we have a we have a couple questions uh so the first one is from bill uh can you think of a magical girl show in recent years post madoka besides franchises like pretty cure or sailor moon that hasn't taken a dark tone approach to its story besides i cannot <laughs> Uh, card captor soccer, a clear card. 
and it's not oh, dark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I mean, it's, what was it's that? about it as dark as deal... Sailor Moon. Yeah, okay, okay. which it, it means it can deal with some heavy topics, but it's not like yeah. suffering. Like, yeah. Where's the Sailor Moon so. where Sailor Moon has an eating disorder? Um, and we have to teach the kids that eating disorders the 1990s. are bad. The 1990s. 90s, yeah. Oh, really? Sailor Moon says. Oh, never mind. Yeah. I was talking out my ass. I didn't realize that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you're sexist. I mean, um, home, Ryan. Oh, God, there's um, got to be others. I mean, I feel like, okay, I feel like nowadays magical girl sh- shows aren't like the vogue because Pretty Cure kind of has a monopoly on that. Mm-hmm, so it's more agreed. stuff like Prepara or like Aikatsu or like things like that that are cute and bubbly. Uh, what was the magical I mean, boys show? Oh, uh, yeah, that'd be a good oh, one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love Boo. Uh, High Defense Club. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's a good example. Um, I know there was Magical Girl Ore from a few years ago, which was very much like a parody comedy thing, yeah. but that wasn't mm-hmm, dark. Mm-hmm. Um, no. I think they still think exist, what... but being dark in general is just kind of a cultural thing right now. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. And, and, and again, it's, it's not like... It's not like Madoka had like a monopoly on dark magical girl stories. I mean, they were like. Oh, but people sure acted like it did though, and I didn't get to get on my soapbox. Unfortunately, <laughs> that, that's true. I mean, I mean, there there have been things like I mean, Sailor Moon has its darker, darker moments in it as well. It's not like all just yeah. Everybody dies and multiple times in that. <laughs> multiple times, yeah, exactly. everybody dies. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, there's series like uh, Utana, which is super dark. Um, yeah. You know, there, there, there Princess been, Tutu. Princess Tutu. I mean, and these oh. things have been around for a long time. So, um, but but it is interesting because there are like there there was a a, a wave of Madoka clones post post Madoka, which tried to like up the ante even further. Um, there was Magical Girl Raising Project, which I will die on the hill, but it was actually kind of fun. Um, Magical Girl Sight. Um, was Happy Sugar Life Magical Girls? I don't remember. I could also be talking out of my ass. And it's not. But, um, this is not a magical girl show, but it's kind of the same idea. But there was there was something. There was the thing. Um, there was the show. Yeah, Yukiuna, that's a good yeah. example. Um, there was School Live, which was kind of the oh. same idea. It's just what? like take these. Well, it's the idea of you know taking very cute looking characters and putting them in a very depressing situation. Oh you know? yeah, it yeah. was it was another show that tricked you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's not um, magical girl, but it's like the idea. I, Happy Sugar I was about Life to, was I was about to ask you if you knew time. what a magical girl show was because <laughs> no I was idea. very confused for that comment. <laughs> and I, I will say that even though it's more Harry Potter than Sailor Moon, Little Witch Academia, Academia. absolutely True. magical yeah. girl show. Yeah, sure. that is cute. Yeah. You're right. Is Kill the Kill Kills like not that dark? They just strip. So that's also magical girls that are you not can, completely you can, depressing. Yeah, you can make you can I make guess the you argument. Could argue, yeah. yeah. Um, and Bill also asks, "Have you engaged in any of the Madoka spinoff material?" I will say that I have the PSP game. <laughs> I and, read. Sorry, go ahead. And I've watched one episode of Ma- Magia Record, 
which is a side story a side story anime that came out last year based on the popular Madoka Magica mobile game which Sarah probably knows something about no um okay. <laughs> I played it Sarah for like 20 minutes it had an English had, it had an English uh version but then the English version got uh shut down that's all yeah I that remember. sucks it was like horrendously oh, wow. unpopular because it didn't release in English until years after the anime, like so. 2019, I think. Yeah. One of my so friends played it, what... and he was like, he he was whatever about it, but he was just kind of like, man, they shut down my Maduka game. Um, <laughs> I remember yeah, I mean, Maduka's one yeah. no longer Maduka. I'm pretty sure that's the only that's like the only official animated side story of Madoka. So yes. if you really like that world and like the lore and everything, you probably would want to check it out. And it's also really mm -hmm. pretty. Like I think a lot of the same team came back to do it. I don't know if Shimbo is involved or and I'm pretty sure Urobuchi is not. But um from just the watching the first episode, I mean, it seems pretty solid. Like story story elements I cannot comment on, but at least from a visual perspective it looks cool. Mhm. Mm I also read um one of the spin-off manga, uh, Poilamagi Oriko Magica. Oh. And it's basically about a girl who accepts Kyubei's, uh contract and gets visions of the future. And it kind of, they kind of tie into the main story in a way, but I do not know the canonicity of them mm. because her visions start to involve Walpurgis not and mm. she also attempts to prevent this from happening so i'm it, it was decent and i read it like a long time ago so i don't really remember the finer details of it but i remember liking it at the time and there's like four other spin-offs of madoka for better manga only yeah mm. yeah there are a few a handful of spin-off yeah. manga i'm honestly surprised that we got magia record before we got um uh like any of the other poila magi stories but i also did it watch just been they might have just sell like that a... mobile game exactly yeah, much. Yeah. yep 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 the same, same thing with fake get... grand order and whatnot yeah there's a lot of anime that get green lit just to like push a mobile game yeah for sure um, ensemble stars the one yeah. <laughs> episode that i did watch of magia record is i watched it in another discord and they were watching it because it has a madoka magica beach episode okay Cute. good for them yeah. well so everyone wanted I mean, they to deserve, watch they the... deserve a vacation exactly. <laughs> they truly so all right so we've got a question that's on a little bit on the longer side from weebasaurus bex over on twitter Based on the description of why Kyubei does what Kyubei does, do you think that the price the girls pay is worth it? Would it not be better in the long run to find a less efficient but also less destructive means to the end? Why not capitalize on positive emotions? I mean, I think this is getting to the fundamental problem with with Kyubei's race is that they have no concept of understanding like pain and suffering. So to them, it's just trans purely transactional. Um, I think if they had a moral center, they would understand that maybe the most quote-unquote efficient thing is actually the wrong thing to do. But um, they, they totally lack that moral center, so they don't really even consider that. Yeah. My galaxy brain take <clears throat> from earlier was that it's 
easier to make people feel bad about themselves and be in pain and things like that than it is to make people feel good about themselves and like accept themselves and have good positive emotions so maybe they kind of are more aware of what they're doing than they let on i don't know i mean that's very possible i mean to bring it back to kingdom hearts the nobodies (laughs) actually weren't totally unfeeling so it's it would be difficult to say because we don't really know what the the Cube race's capacity to actually feel is. I mean, I think we can pretty much assume pretty definitively that Cube is an unreliable narrator. So it's entirely well, possible that he could just be lying. I assume that they understand human pain in some concept because when Sayaka is like why did you do this to me? And he's like, well, if I didn't take your soul out of your body, you'd be feeling all this right now. And he steps on her soul gym and, like, makes her writhe on the floor, essentially. Mm, yeah. So yeah. They have some other understanding. Mm-hmm. I just, I don't pretend to know how any of it works. Yeah. Basically, yeah, I a... think of it like they were trying to do the mobile gamer strategy of max minning the most effective way and just like (laughs) didn't really think too far ahead of how their actions affected others true they really needed to listen to sammy classic sonic fan that their actions have consequences (laughs) (laughs) this is true uh a kid is a modern prophet yep um Mm -hmm. so will asks since the first two films serve as a recap of the tv series would you recommend new fans watch the show then rebellion or just watch the movie trilogy is there anything gained or lost by choosing one over the other i think um well your mileage may vary if you carry if you care a lot about madoka and it really clicks with you just watch it all yeah because there's something to be gained from watching both the, the TV show and the recap movies. Um, but if you don't, if you are just kind of passive, passively interested, maybe just check out the first few episodes or so. If it doesn't really click with you, maybe watch the recap movies to just get through it. But I don't know. Mm-hmm. There, there's not really a wrong way necessarily. I'll actually, I'll actually say that if you're new to the franchise, watch the show because the way that they use the endings especially the first time watching it definitely helps with the uh with the feel of the show like having Mm. having the the cutesy typical magical girl ending for the first two episodes and then having magia hit is like Mm -hmm. very impactful you missed that true. emotion yeah exactly and then the same thing way, with the duet yeah. at the end of uh the sayaka yes. uh, yeah yeah because really what the recap movies serve as is again just kind of bringing you up to speed to get prepared for rebellion it's also yeah. a very 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 well done reanimation True. Yeah. They're a great way to revisit the series if you don't want if you'd rather sit down and watch two two hour movies than sit down and watch twelve half hour episodes if you want to save yourself yeah. like four hours. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But but you Yeah, unless you're really picky about like anim- like if you're like I can only watch things that are absolute artistic masterpieces and you're gonna get really <laughs> picky about the little things in the show. Um like the movie cleans up a lot of that very, very well. But, like, it's definitely, like, the way that the each episode ends in the show, like, where the episodes ends is so good. Mm -hmm. And they translated it very well in the movies. But I do feel like, ultimately, the show just 
hits better at certain points. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I liked, them, I liked them both. Like, personally, because <laughs> yeah, I've watched the sure. series before, I watched uh, the movies as my recap of the the series and then Rebellion. Um, but I've watched the series itself, like, multiple times as well. And having watched the series as my first showing and knowing the emotions I felt with it and how it kind of just, like, shaped how I feel about the show, it's definitely better to watch watch the series first yeah mm-hmm tori um, and Austin. yeah tori you were gonna you were gonna say something tori oh um i think i was gonna say that the completionist in me says to watch it all so you can see how it kind of like evolves and adapts from the tv show to the movies mm-hmm. um but really you can't go wrong i don't think um and, you know, it just kind of depends on your schedule and your time and how much you want to commit to it. So, um, I don't know. I don't think you can go wrong either way. Yep. Just ro- watch Rebellion only. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Rebellion only. Make up the rest of the story as you go. It's your head canon now. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think... don't wonder what would happen if that were the case, to be honest. <laughs> the other thing, It's though, my literary analysis. <laughs> the other thing that might kind of throw a wrench in, like, which is easier to watch, too, is that currently you can't get any of the movies on like netflix or any other streaming service you kind of have to uh hunt them down in order to purchase them legally obviously but yeah Yeah, you have to hunt them down uh yeah i mean i I found i found my digital copy of rebellion like on the floor of my computer somebody just left it laying there i don't know man it's crazy (laughs) trip over that yeah wow austin Um, do you have anything to add with that um, not particularly. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you bring up a good point. Well, you and uh, all of you do mm-hmm. about um, <laughs> about there being merits to watching the TV show. Um, and I think watching the TV show as well puts you in the brain space of somebody that watched it back whenever it came out for the first time. So if you're mm-hmm. looking to see like, oh, this is why it clicked for people so good or so well, rather. Let me start that over. So goodly. Oh, so this is how people. This is why. This is like how it clicked with people so well at that time. I think watching the TV show it is that. Watching the recap movies is not necessarily. Yeah. But again, your mileage may vary. It totally depends on how much you care. Yeah. But again, for, totally from a purely you. story perspective, the re- the recap movies are fine. They are yeah, perfectly they cover fine. They don't miss yeah. out anything yeah. major. Yeah. yeah, there are some anime recap movies that really drop the ball in some mm-hmm. regards. Like I know, for example, the Gunbuster uh, compilation movie basically cuts out an entire side character, which Aww. is really unfortunate. Um, and it really does feel like it's missing something. But the Madoka movies, because it's adapting, it, it, it's, it's giving you two movies to adapt a 13 episode show. That's not too bad. So it doesn't lose a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, so we got two final things we want to do, and then we'll let you go home uh, for being trapped in this podcast labyrinth. Yep. Um, our favorite scenes that we can think of from the whole franchise. I will go first to put myself on the spot to make myself think of one. So probably my favorite scene that stands out to me the most and will probably consistently stand out to me in my head is probably the um i would say the uh transformation scene in rebellion uh just that whole sequence 
Uh, and if I had to pick one from the show, it'd probably be Mommy's first transformation sequence because that's like the first time you see it. And it's just very fun and evocative and bright and beautiful. And the music is excellent. I love that specific track a lot in the soundtrack with Califina's beautiful uh, chorus voice in the background. So whenever I think of Madoka, that, that tends to be what I think about. That's my iconic scene. I think for me from the show, I always think back to the scene where Madoka just yeets Sayaka's soul gem on the bridge <laughs> and she just drops because that's when I kind of realized like, oh, this show isn't just dark. It's dark. Like, mm. <laughs> and like, I, I think of that scene like a lot when I think of this show, because I'm just like, yeah, no, that's the one where the show really, really took off for me. Um, Cause yes, it had like permadeath, but also it was like, these characters just had nothing going for them and it was like very hard to watch at times but so worth it and then from rebellion just the entire sequence of mommy versus homura because you got to actually showcase just how much of a badass mommy was okay i think the best line in the show and the best scene for me is when madoka makes her wish and then she just looks at kyube and is like that's my wish, Incubator. Make my wish come true, Incubator. And you're just like, damn, she just did it. She broke the system. <laughs> um, that was really cool. It's very cathartic after yeah, all that misery. For sure. And then I think in Rebellion, ugh, I don't know. I just, uh, the whole scene before Homura goes full on like witch and has her papercraft witchy self appear where she's like just like totally obliterating 50 different um cubes with her different little minions and stuff that was both visually and just like thematically as she's spiraling into madness so cool to me um yeah I think those are my favorite I think the line when did I become a witch was like one of the greatest like oh my god moments in like anime and period mm -hmm. in general. Mm -hmm. Um for TV it's really hard. Oh my gosh. Um probably at the end where Madoka and Homura are holding each other and it's like their spirits in the sky and space. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And and Madoka's like, I'm sorry, it took me all this time to notice that I had such a good friend in you and you were doing all this for me and you were just trying to help me. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh. And then um, That was pretty pretty precious. Yeah. And then in Rebellion, I think I would have to say when Homura is revealed as a witch. God, that just, it got me. I did not expect that whatsoever at all. And um, it just, it really took me back. And I was just like, wow, that, that happened, huh? Yeah, mm. it did. <laughs> yep. All right, and our final question going around the table. If you had to wish to become a magical girl, what would your wish be? Tori, you just went. So I'm going to make you go now. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, I 
ponder this a lot, but without going into too much detail, I think I just want to be happy and healthy. Hmm. Yeah. Sarah? Okay, so I really hate the like eternal system of having to continuously fight witches, so I wouldn't do it unless I absolutely had to. So I feel like it would have to be like a situation close to mommy's where it's like I'm literally dying and I have to do this or else I die right in that moment mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Like, Fair. Yeah. yeah. Like I do not have time <laughs> to go around killing witches. <laughs> Does not sound like fun to me. Sounds like a lot of physical labor. Not my bad. <laughs> well, well, let's let's just say, I guess, maybe maybe pretend the system is different for the sake of this uh of this illustration okay so like what's what's does qb also pay me hourly yeah like (laughs) do i get overtime (laughs) health (laughs) benefits i i guess i don't need health benefits anymore (laughs) (laughs) um oh god i don't know i i mean i guess i would wish for a successful life for myself and my peers hmm well, Kubey would absolutely abuse that. Like, I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna like, give a very, very <laughs> narrow definition of what a peer is. Ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's why these questions are hard because there's always a monkey's paw. Ryan, right. Go. That's why I'm like, yeah. I wouldn't fuck with it. I just wouldn't mess with it at all. I wouldn't yeah. touch it. Kubey yeah. Q- is gonna take me to space. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I'm <laughs> using I'm using Kubey mm-hmm. to go to space because. <laughs> You know, how the hell else am I gonna ever afford that? I like, you know, I'm gonna die anyways. I may as well go to space first. Hmm. Mm-hmm, Gosh, mm-hmm. I, I'm kind yeah. of in. I'm kind of in your boat, Sarah. It's just like, dang, it's got to be good, but it needs to be <laughs> yeah. something that can't be abused. Yeah. Um, I guess I would wish for. Uh, okay. I think I think this would be good, and there's. I can't envision this going wrong because it's vague enough to work. <laughs> I, I, Your first mistake. I will, yeah, I will I know, be the monkey's paw foolish. for this one. Thank you. Okay, so my wish would be for everyone on the planet to be a little bit less selfish. Well, you're going to be running into a lot of selfish aliens then. I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess if if humanity exits the planet Earth, then um, my my wish is null and void. Also, you said a little less selfish, so Karen's only gonna cut in line on like Tuesdays and Thursdays, and she's still gonna be the same <laughs> person Monday, you, Wednesday, Friday. You Tuesday's know, National Karen Day. You know, Ryan, I will take that. If Karens only mean half of the week instead of the whole week, I see that as a victory. It's All a right. win, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a win. That is a win. All right, guys. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you guys with me to talk about Madoka Magica. Hopefully, this will not be the last time we talk about Madoka Magica because more of it is on the way. So uh, we'll go around the table and do final plugs. So, Ryan, where can people reach out to you on the internet and what are you up to these days? Uh, People can reach out to me on the internet at my Twitter at midshelf ryan and i am also on youtube at midshelf gaming and we are currently 
in the works of putting the final touches on an episode about reptile games. Ooh, very specific. Very specific. That's fun. Yep. All right, Sarah, where can people reach out to you? Um, the best place to find me yelling about idols is Twitter at UniqueXHarmony. Um, I also do stuff on YouTube, which is linked on my Twitter. And uh, coming up soon, I've had some gacha chats with another YouTuber. So if you've felt personally victimized by Genshin lately or any other gacha game, uh, you'll find those very, very soon on my channel and theirs. So you can victimize others. Hell yeah. Austin and I will have to tell you <laughs> stories about our Kingdom Hearts days. Oh no. That's far, that's the main game times. that's the main game my friend play used to play was Kingdom Hearts Union Cross. Yep. That's funny. And now all of your purchases are for nothing because the game is gone. Yeah. Yep. Fun times. Tori, where yeah. can people reach out to you? Hey, um, definitely not falling asleep in the chair. Um, I am over on the Twitter at Worst Waifu, just vibing in the void as a space concept. So come see me over there and we'll have fun. And you can find me at Bebop Shock over on Twitter. You can also find Third Impact Anime at large over at at T-I underscore anime on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, and you can also check us out on our website, which is thirdimpactanime.com. I know everybody has a Discord server these days, but we also have a Discord server that is very nice that you can come into and find some nice, fun new friends to talk about anime video games cooking uh miscellaneous fandoms etc uh we we keep a nice community over there and if you want to join our discord you can find the invite for that over on our website if that doesn't work for some reason you can just message us uh in a dm on twitter and get the uh get the link but it, it should work just fine uh but yeah you can find out everything you could ever want to know about third impact over on our website Again, that's thirdimpactanime.com. And thank you guys so much for sticking with us throughout this extremely long episode, which might end up being our longest episode, except for that one time where we tried to do all of those anime. What was that, like 2018? <laughs> yeah. That episode? Uh, oh six or seven God. people all talking about the year in anime. Yeah, that was that was uh, that was quite a monster. I don't think anybody anything will ever beat that. But uh, yeah. this one this one seems to have gotten close. But yeah. again, thank you guys for sticking with us, and we will catch you in the next one. I Do just want to say listen. real quick before we go, if you come to my Twitter, I'll give you cookies. They're Ooh. browser cookies, but still, nobody else is offering anything like that. <laughs> at, at no charge. Yep. All right. Good night, everybody. Chill See finale. ya. Bye.